Good morning. We're going to call the Richmond City Council budget work session to order. Madam Clerk, if you would uh, read the evacuation announcement. Evacuation announcement. Upon activation of the emergency alarm signal, all persons should immediately exit the building. Please use the exit to the left or right front of council chamber or the east-west stairway outside the rear doors of the chamber. Do not use the elevators or the escalator. After exiting the building, proceed to the assembly area located in the parking lot bordered by Clay 8th and 9th Streets. Citizens and employees should assist visually in hearing impaired visitors with exiting the building. Madam President, for the record, we have four members of council um, present. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Good morning, everyone who's joined us for the budget work sessions. Thank you for being here this morning. Our agenda includes uh, first a presentation, FY 2020 uh, budget overview, followed by Richmond Public Schools fiscal year 2020 budget, and then followed by uh, Department of Public Utilities presentation. We'll ask if you will... Um, uh, provide your presentation and overview, and then we will follow with any questions. And so I believe uh, the first um, presentation is that you, Mr. Brown? Good morning, Madam President and members of City Council. My name is Jay Brown, the Director of the Department of Budget and Strategic Planning, and I have a overview of the FY20 proposed budget. And you should have copies of those slides in front of you as well. In terms of the outline, we will, I will provide a general overview of the budget, followed by discussion on the real estate tax and any changes to other tax rates and fees. Um, next leading to major general fund expenditure changes, major one-time budget items, debt service, followed by a discussion on the personal complement to include any changes, any new positions or transfers or eliminations, pay raises, vacancy funding, and then begin to conclude with a brief discussion on employee benefits um, and the retirement system and a cost of living adjustment for the retirees. So the FY20 budget, um, I think, can be very uh, briefly explained uh, by these words, bold and historic investments. And if I may respectfully qu quote the mayor from last Wednesday, uh, with this budget, we have the opportunity to invest in our children and our families and our neighborhoods to build the Richmond our residents de deserve. And again, I want to focus on bold and historic investments. These bold investments will meet Richmond's long neglected needs in public education and neighborhoods to build a more inclusive, competitive, and a more equitable city. These bold and historic investments are within these following broad areas. Investments in education and youth, investments in our neighborhoods, particularly our streets, investments in families, and investments in employees. These investments are in both the operating and the capital pro proposed budgets, and these investments are linked in that our proposed general fund revenues also fund items not just within the operating budget, but also in the capital budget because additional revenue that we have in our general fund budget leads to greater capacity for our CIP. And if I may very briefly, um, the proposed general fund revenues help add debt capacity, which is the ability of the city to borrow more in order to increase our capital investments. So the more general fund revenues that we have, it gives the city the ability to borrow and to fund more within the, the CIP. 
any reductions in the general fund re revenues may result in a reduction in our capacity, or in other words, it will result in a reduction in our capital budget. Bold and historic investments. The first one, education. You will see significant investments in both the operating funding for Richmond Public Schools as well as their capital funding for Richmond Public Schools. In terms of our physical assets and infrastructure, you will see significant investments in paving and sidewalks for our city neighborhoods. You will see an investment in the replacement of our fire vehicles, um, both of which are funded in part by a greater use of cash or paygo from our general fund. You will see a bold investment for employees. You will see a significant investment for salary increases for both Richmond Public Schools teachers and staff, as well as salary increases for general employees, um, which includes non-sworns and includes constitutional officers and their staff. And you will see the continuation of the funding for a step increase for sworn staff. This is on top of the salary increases that were approved in this current year and in the prior year. And we're moving from a 14-step plan to an 18-step plan and increasing the salaries of police and fire recruits. There is a continued emphasis on major priorities, particularly within the area of public safety. Um, there is funding that will focus on training and retention. You will see investments within housing, particularly with the Affordable Housing Trust Fund, the eviction diversion program, and tax relief for the elderly. There is and there continues to be work in the critical area of anti-poverty through our fine Department of the Office of Community Wealth Building. There is, again, a continued emphasis on customer and citizen satisfaction through the Department of Citizen Service and Response. And again, a continued emphasis on what local governments do best, which is to make sure that we maintain and provide core services at the most effective rate. In terms of the methodology for the FY20 proposed budget, this, we use the same approach that we've used in prior years, which is a zero-based budget methodology. Um, it is now a requirement of city council, but again, we have been doing this for multiple years. And basically, this allows the agencies to build their budgets from scratch or starting from zero, which means that the departments have the flexibility to move funds across multiple accounts, services, or programs from year to year as they provide justifications. As a result, it's going to be difficult to make line item comparisons with the current and prior years because it's not always an apples to apples comparison when agencies have the ability to move funds across multiple accounts. Agencies use their FY20 approved operating budgets as their base or as their starting point. And in many cases, the approved operating budgets were less than the FY19 adopted operating budgets with the few exceptions for items that were planned in FY20 and not in FY19. In addition to the zero-based budget methodology, the city has implemented a performance-based budget in the past, more of a presentational performance-based budget, and we are expanding that, just as we discussed in the governmental operations meeting on September the 27th, with seven pilot agencies. And as a result, these seven pilot agencies' budget pages will look radically different from the other budget pages. And the focus will be, as we discussed back in September, is less of a focus on line items, even though that information is still available, but more on the relationship between funding levels and performance or service levels. So we want to try to begin to move away from scrutinizing it heavily on a line item budget and focusing more on how much dollars do you have versus what you can achieve in terms of performance or service levels. 
As a result, these seven pilot agencies will be expanding briefly on their budgets from this perspective during these um, upcoming work sessions, and I believe we have two this afternoon. We also used our five-year forecast as a guide. If you recall, I gave that presentation to city council in January. We reviewed agencies' justifications. We reviewed prior year actuals. We reviewed known information at the time during this current fiscal year. Um, we also um, looked at this in relative to the revenues that were available. And we also looked at what will push the organization and the city forward, meaning these bold investments. So what you will see is that many agencies' operating budgets um, are probably going to be flat, but it still does include um, any known contractual obligations and mandates. In terms of our revenues, uh, our revenues are based on what we anticipate will be received, and we are projecting several increases in several sources, as the mayor indicated last Wednesday. And I will expand on these very briefly. We are seeing growth in our assessed values as provided by the city assessor and received a very um, um, uh, quick update actually on March 5th at noon. Um, we were seeing about a 5% increase in assessed values compared to 19. Keep in mind that when we did the FY20 approved budget last year, we were already projecting some growth in the FY20 approved budget versus the FY19 adopted budget. Another reason why the real estate tax revenue is increasing is because of the recommendation to restore the tax rate from 120 to $129 per $100 of assessed value, which is a $0.09 cent restoration. This generates about an additional $21.2 million. Another increase is the new cigarette tax, which is a new revenue source for the city. The recommendation is a proposal at $0.50 cents per pack, which will generate an estimated $3,050,000. We also have um, one one-time source of revenues, which is the use of the assigned fund balance for the capital reserves. Those funds are earmarked exclusively within the general fund budget to be used as cash to fund and now CIP. Dr. Newbell, right over here. Do we need to hold our questions till the end? Or yes, I? please. Okay. Thank you. That total assigned fund balance is $2.2 million, specifically for paving and sidewalks. You will see examples in categorical state aid for our constitutional officers. Most of this is an, is an increase due to the additional reimbursement for the state-approved salary increases for constitutional officers. We're also seeing a significant increase in reimbursable expenses for the sheriff's office, and that's why you see additional revenue for the sheriff's office, which, I, if I may remind you, we also did a budget amendment in this current fiscal year for additional revenue for the sheriff's office. We're seeing an increase in the dividend payments for the Department of Public Utilities, and an increase in our permits and licenses, a majority of which relates to the new gambling, the horse gambling parlor, which I believe will come online in June. That's an additional $2 million in betting parlor fees. Um, we're also seeing some healthy gains in our permits and, and inspection fees, which is also within that category. But we are seeing declines in other resources, which offsets a little bit of the increases. We're seeing declines in our delinquent personal property taxes, emissions taxes, motor vehicle licenses, our pilot or our payment in lieu of taxes from utilities as well as our communication sales and use taxes. Moving into the real estate tax rate, again, this FY20 proposed budget does have a recommendation to restore the rate to its pre-recession levels from $1.20 to $1.29. 
that would generate, generate an additional $21.2 million at a 97% collection rate. That rate has not changed. The dollar twenty has not changed since 2008 um, to where it is currently now. Um, that funding will be used to fund the bold and historic investments throughout this proposed budget. The cigarette tax, again, proposed at 50 cents per pack, generating an additional $3,050,000. It will also be used to help fold the investments within this budget. Other general fund taxes remain unchanged, but there are a few fee increases throughout the budget. Uh, very briefly, the radio shop, which is, an, which is an internal service fund, they charge other agencies, city agencies. They have some minor fee increases for their standard cost charge and their labor rates. The refuse fees is, is recommended to increase by 65 cents. This fee will fund an increase, which I will touch on briefly throughout, later in the presentation, an increase in the recycling contract. There's also a parking fine increase from 50 to $55 for restricted parking districts. Also a recommendation to now charge um, in the Carytown deck from a current rate of zero to a dollar per day. And there are multiple fee increases for the cemeteries, which is an, inter an enterprise fund. There are some fee increases or rate increases for the Department of Public Utilities, which DP will touch on briefly um, after my presentation. But these are primarily associated and must happen because of regulatory requirements to make sure that we are in compliance with our financial policies and practices, provide adequate working capital, make sure that we provide sufficient cash for utilities-related capital improvement projects, maintain our ratios for debt and equity, and to make sure that we try to maintain or improve our bond ratings. Those percentage increases are 3.5% for gas, 4% for water and wastewater, and 4% for stormwater. So the proposed FY20 budget, the general fund is projected at $757.9 million. FY20, or the first year of the capital budget, is $96.9 million and the total enterprise fund budget is $373.6 million. As it relates to the general fund budget, you will see that in FY19, we have a current year adopted budget of $719.9 million. When we did the approved budget last year, that included some one-time resources that were backed out of the FY20 approved. So we were at $713.2 million, and again, the proposed general fund budget is 757 dollars a significant increase from the adopted budget. Again, before I touch on some of the expenditures, I want to make sure, again, that I highlight the bold and historic investments in education and youth, our neighborhoods, our families, and our employees. Focusing on education, you will see that one of the bold investments is an increase, a proposed increase to Richmond Public Schools operating budget. This is an increase from their approved budget of $18.5 million. This funding will be used specifically for, or is being proposed for, $11.76 million for Richmond Public Schools Dreams for RPS Strategic Initiatives, $6.1 million for the local match for the salary increases for teachers and staff, $373,000 for Richmond Public Schools to work with next up for um, transportation and security enhancements at five middle schools, and $284,000 was transferred from the police department to Richmond Public Schools to operate the school crossing guard program. That's an increase of $18.5 million. And I would like to reiterate again, in FY19, there was one-time funding for Richmond Public Schools that was not in FY20. 
So a net increase of $18.5 million of reoccurring revenues. Another bold investment in the proposed budget is our neighborhoods and streets. You will see a significant change in the expenditures of a cash contribution to the capital budget of $9.6 million, which is an outstanding and a great financial best practice for any local government, something that we seek to continue and that we're always striving to do. Out of this $9.6 million, 2.2 is from the assigned fund balance, and the remainder is cash. This funding is earmarked exclusively to the capital budget, $3 million for critical and aging fire vehicles. And this is a critical need with our fire department as they have many aging vehicles. And $6.6 million is cash to help fund the total capital budget for paving and sidewalks in the CIP. Okay? So paving right now is estimated, at, I mean, is proposed at $15 million in the capital budget, which is receiving um, a part of their funding from cash and from general obligation bonds. Another bold investment and a significant change from the adopted budget is the investment in employees. And if I may clearly do my best to clearly explain this, when you look at the full-time salaries line item, you'll see, you'll see an increase of $7.1 million. That includes multiple things. Number one, that includes, which I will talk briefly further within the presentation, a 3% salary increase for employees. Also included within this line item, which is not new, but the cost associated with the current year Richmond Police Department and fire step increase used to be segregated in a line item called public safety lump sum. Since they were paid that money out in FY19, that money is now part of full-time salaries. In addition to that, if you recall, there was funding in the budget in FY19 to raise staff who make below the minimum of the new class and comp plan and to bring staff up to a living wage. That money was included in FY19. Um, in non-departmental. That money is no longer within non-departmental, but a majority of that is now included in full-time salaries. So it's not new money, it's just um, ensuring that, that the funding is in the most appropriate place now that is a part of employee salaries. Other changes and investments in terms of changes from the 19 budget, you see overtime increased by $2.8 million from the approved budget. If you recall in the approved budget, the overtime was about 2.6 and some change less than they adopted. This is a, nearly a restoration back to close to the adopted levels and a slight increase of $200,000. Debt service and an increase of $2.5 million. Um, we were projecting an increase in the 20 approved budget. Fortunately, it was not as high, but it will be higher um, compared to the FY19 adopted budget. Another bold investment, you'll see an increase of $1.9 million for the tax relief for the elderly. This is a program within non-departmental that will move from $2.7 million to $4,588,000. This increase is due largely to the recently approved ordinance which expanded the program. Um, and secondary to that, since there is a proposal to increase the real estate tax rate, um, we're also projecting um, an increase for the tax relief for the elderly. Other bold and historic investments, you will see an additional $1.9 million for the Affordable Housing Trust Fund from $1 million to $2.9 million, making sure that we provide this investment to increasing housing assistance. Healthcare, uh, we're seeing about a 2.3% increase 
um, on a fiscal year basis, which is about an increase of $1.6 million. There is a recommendation to increase the contribution to GRTC, which is specifically and only for providing increased service and route frequency, or in other words, providing more equitable, expanded routes throughout the city, exclusively for this purpose only, and an increase in retirement due to a rate increase. There are some reductions. You will see a reduction in DPW specifically for the appropriation to their special fund, which is their State Street maintenance. This is a reduction of $3 million and their transfer to the special fund due to a decrease in the streetlight payment to utilities. Um, I touched on briefly the public safety lump sum. If you recall, in FY19, we had an amount for just for the first year. In FY20 approved, we had to show the full amounts for both years. So when you look at it from year to year, you will see a decrease of $2.9 million because agency, because police and fire are now getting paid for that first year. But we are still showing the full and correct amount that is needed in FY20 for the third year of the police and fire step increases. And we put it in this account for transparency purposes. I touched on this briefly. Again, if you look within non-departmental, we had a line item in this current year budget called employee salary adjustments. This was to bring employees making below the minimum and below the living wage up to a living wage. We had a little over $500,000 in FY19 and a million dollars in FY20 approved. Since employees are getting paid that, that's a part of full-time salary, so this was not needed in non-departmental. But it is a reduction from the approved budget and the adopted budget. Non-departmental, you see about a $2 million net increase. And I touched on some of these briefly, but here are some of the high-level highlights. The additional $1.9 million for tax relief for the elderly and the Affordable Housing Trust Fund. $965,000 additional investment for GRTC. Um, the subsidy to Greca has increased. That is tied to our lodging tax revenue. So since we are projecting an increase in our lodging tax revenues, uh, we have to pay this amount to Greca. The Richmond Public Schools Capital Reserve, which is the funding earmarked in the budget, that will go towards paying the debt service on. They were $150 million for the new school construction. That amount went up, went up from $9.2 million to, 9 to a little over $9.3 million. It's about $258,000 increase that ties directly to our meals tax revenue projections in the operating budget. We do have a, a new contribution for our other post-employment benefits. This is something that, that, um, that the city needs to fund. Um, because this is um, going to be, or it is, a very large liability for the city as well as other jurisdictions, and we are recommending a $250,000 investment. And other post-employment, other post-employment benefits include um, the health insurance costs, primarily um, that the city is obligated to cover once employees retire. And this, I understand, will be a reservation, so that we can start funding for this um, large liability. Richmond Region Tourism is seeing about 150,000 increase, again tied to our lodging taxes. Um, and then you will see an increase in next up middle school renaissance of $100,000, an additional $100,000 investment. But there are decreases in non-departmental as well. RPAC, um, the matching funds was at $500,000 beginning in FY20. Um, as I understand the agreement that can now come down to $250,000. So from, from $500,000 to $250,000. So a reduction of $250,000. There's only one more payment for the Fulton Hill Studios incentive, so a reduction of $250,000. There's a reduction 
um, of the Metro Care Water Program of $350,000. Now, I want to be clear that, the, that there is funding available for the Metro Water Care Program. I'm working with the Department of Public Utilities and working to help us to balance the budget. I understand that they have um, a little bit of, 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 of a balance within this account, so there is no funding needed to be added for the Metro Water Care Program in FY20. But again, there is funding available for this program and to use for citizens who are in need. I mentioned the employee salaries adjustments, a net reduction compared to the adopted of $500,000. The Philip Morris grant um, the last year um, was FY19. This $1,250,000 was already out of the approved budget, but when comparing it to, to the adopted, you will see that out. And there was a city council amendment in last year's budget process to make a $2 million contribution to the retirement system. That is not that will be paid out in FY19 and is not in the proposed budget for 20. There are some non-discretionary items that are in the budget that we have to fund. Of things that I've touched on as part of the five-year forecast, about a $1.2 million increase in the sheriff's office for um, increased inmate medical contractual obligations and $37,000 increased food services contractual obligations within the sheriff's office. There's about $1.2 million additional for various contracts within public works that we had to fund, and they're listed here to include the recycling contract, which is tied to the $0.65 cent fee increase on the refuse rate, $200,000 for an elevator contract security monitoring, jail maintenance, and the Central Virginia Waste Management contract of $102,000, things that we have to fund. Richmond Coliseum. Uh, due to the Coliseum being closed currently, there is a reduction from the Economic Development Department's budget of the entire amount of the subsidy of $925,000. If I can scroll to the third bullet, you will see an increase in Public Works operating budget of $445,000 to ensure that the, that the facility is kept up proper, properly while it is closed to include the utilities, security, and maintenance of this public facility. We see an increase in software costs of $500,000 in the Department of Citizen Service in response to begin the procuring of a new 311 solution. I understand that their 311 software will be expiring within a year or so, and they need to get on board with starting the procurement for a new software. Other major changes, you will see a transfer of the Main Street Station Special Fund from economic development to public works. This is a special fund that had a local contribution of a little over $1.1 million. Um, due to doing this transfer and making sure that the um, operations for the um, overseeing this special fund, uh, public works was able to save about $350,000 for the local contribution. There's about a net savings of $350,000 in the local contribution to the Main Street Station special fund. Public Works was able to more efficiently um, manage overseeing the operations compared to what it has been and is currently. You also see the transfer of the farmer's market from the, the Department of Economic Development to the Department of Parks, Recreation, and Community Facilities. A net increase of only $27,000 to help um, operate this market. The Department of Parks uh, is better suited to manage the operations, and so it is better aligned with the parks Department. And you will see that this special fund was transferred from economic development 
two parks with only a slight increase of 27000 but I must say that um, this $27,000 increase pales in comparison to the potential cost of having an outside entity operate this asset. For, so from that perspective, there was some cost avoidance by having our Department of Parks, Recreation, and Community Facilities uh, manage this asset beginning July 1. So again, um, in order to fund many of the priorities and the non-discretionary items, many, but not all of the operating budgets remain relatively flat or slightly less um, with the approved budget. In terms of the personnel complement major, major changes, these are some of the highlights. You see a net increase in DPW of 2.225. They did have some allocation changes. Um, there was one position transferred from economic development um, that relates to transportation, and there were new positions that relates to sustainability. The planning department had, an, had a net increase of 4.226, one of which is the new position for the History and Culture Commission. And there was a city council amendment in FY19 that added funding within planning but did not add the positions in FY19. And so our planning department added those positions during the course of the fiscal year, but the funding was already there and was pre-authorized by city council. The city attorney's office, you've seen a net increase of about six and a half. Um, all the positions that relate to the city attorney's office Juvenile Domestic Relations Special Fund were moved from the special fund to the general fund. And that's one of the reasons why you'll see uh, an increase in the city attorney's office. Um, if you recall, that was due to the lack of revenue that was being um, credited or booked to that, special, to that special fund account. And if you recall, there was an, an amendment that was done at the end of the CAFR that earmarked some revenues to help restore that balance to that special fund. This moves those positions that are currently here to the city attorney's office general fund budget. You see a net increase of about three FTs in, in the finance department, uh, one of which is to help and to assist with the management of the cigarette tax program, and two for the expansion of the tax relief program. Uh, and then increase in two positions within parks. One is to help manage the 17th Street Farmers Market, which is, which is included in the cost for, for parks and a position was transferred from Human Services for the Neighbor to Neighbor program. Just Services is going to see an, an increase of one, which was transferred um, throughout the fiscal year from Human Services, and the Richmond Police Department has a net decrease of nine, which results in the transfer of 16 part-timers and one full-time position, which equates to nine positions, two schools for the school crossing guard program. Economic development. An increase of one position. This is the position that is associated with helping to manage the planning and community engagement functions within Shaco Bottom. One position was transferred from utilities to the, the Department of Citizen Service and Response, and one is new um, to help out with that very important fu function. One increase in the Department of Emergency Communications, which will help manage the false alarm operations internally. If you recall, we did have a vendor currently that is managing that program, but now our Department of Emergency Communications can do that in-house and to try to save a little bit of money. You'll see a net increase of four positions for the Richmond Public Library, very similar to the planning department. There was an amendment in FY19 by City Council that added funding but did not increase the FTE count. So this is just a technical um, update to reflect the funding that was approved by City Council in FY19. Major one-time funding items in 19. It's very similar to last year. There's a $900,000 in the finance department to cover the operational costs associated with the current unit system or our revenue administration system. There is a capital project that is in the budget 
um, for this project, and this is the estimate for the operating costs. There's $100,000 in public works for space reprogram needs for the general registrar in preparation for the FY 2020 elections. There was a House bill that um, passed that's going to extend early voting, and we're working with the registrar to identify her spacing needs um, for the very likely possibility that, that there would be a very um, extensive turnout that relates to this new bill. But we have $100,000 in DPW's facilities budget to assist with space reprogram needs for the registrar. And again, $2.2 million from the assigned fund balance as a part of the general fund transfer to cash to the CIP. Moving forward to debt, our adopted budget was 69.8. We had approved 73.7 to increase slightly lower, but still higher than FY19 of 72.4. We are seeing an increase in our debt service as it relates to our outstanding general fund supported debt for capital projects. Uh, and the city will continue to use low interest line of credit to provide interim financing for applicable capital projects. And we will most certainly make sure that we stay within our debt policy limits and guidelines. The personnel complement, you see FY19, we had 3647.89. In the approved budget, we had 3652.89. That went up very slightly to 3672.46. Explain many of those changes in the prior slides. Richmond Public Schools has a general fund FT account as found within their budget of 3238.8. Vacant positions, if you recall, the FY19 budget only had $13.7 million for all vacancies in the general fund. FY20 approved budget only had 11.7 for all vacancies. The FY20 proposed budget proposes to restore back up to the adopted levels, back up to 13.7 plus an additional 3.9 million for about 17.6 million for all vacancies in the general fund. So again, this proposed budget recommends 17.6 million for critical vacancies across multiple general fund agencies. The vacancy fund includes funding for existing vacant positions and any of the new positions that were added. So out of 3672.46 general fund positions, funding is recommended for 3,063.18 filled and only an estimated 276.11 vacant positions. About 333.17 estimated general fund vacant positions are not funded. So we are seeing a very slight increase in our funding for vacant positions. But as you can see, um, the city has never had the ability in years to fully fund all its vacancies, nor do we fund all of our vacancies in the general fund. Pay raises. There are no bonuses for city employees in the proposed budget, but there is a recommendation um, for funding for a 3% salary increase for all general employees, which means non-sworns, and it includes a 3% pay increase for constitutional officers and their employees as approved by the General Assembly. Sworn employees will receive a step increase like they have for the past two years. More specifically, there's about 3.4 million in the police Department for step increases and raising the, start, the starting salaries of recruits up to 43,000. And for fire, there's 1.7 million to do the same thing, both of which are to increase retention to help bring new employees to our fine police and fire departments and to ensure that we increase our, competitive, our competitiveness with our surrounding peers. Health insurance premiums, and we do have representatives from HR here to assist, but we are projecting an increase of 
percent compared to the 2019 calendar year rates. This corresponds to about a 2.3 percent increase citywide on a fiscal year basis, and that's what we have budgeted. That's why we are seeing an increase in health insurance. The city is recommended to absorb the increase increases for employees. Out of the active employees, 3,630 employees are covered under the plan. About a little over 2,400 took the health assessment, which is about a 68% engagement rate. Of the retirees, 365 retirees are covered. About 147 completed about a 40% engagement rate. And 427 spouses of active employees and retirees took the health assessment. This is a chart that compares the local cost. You can see that the city of Richmond is relatively in the ballpark with our peers um, to include Richmond public, public schools. Um, and human resources can answer any specific questions that may pertain to this cost. But we appear to be fairly com competitive as it relates to our peers. So health insurance. We've adopted a budget of 28.9. Since we funded less than the approved budget, we were at 28.5, and, and the proposed budget includes 30.5 for health insurance. Again, another driver of the budget that is viewed as non-discretionary. Richmond retirement system. There is, like I discussed in January, a rate increase from a current rate of 50.03% for general employees to 53.46% for those in the defined benefits plan. And sworn police and fire are increasing from 41.02 to 41.66. This is going to result in, in, in an increase in our contribution to the Richmond retirement system. We had 40.2 million adopted to 40 million, to almost 40.1 in the approved. We're at 41.1 in the proposed budget. Again, primarily related to the rate increase. And the cost of living adjustment, there is no cost of living adjustment for retirees in this proposed budget. And seeking to conclude, again, I want to reiterate that this budget does include significant investments in the following areas. The increases that you have seen correlates to these investments, again, within our school systems, for our children, in our neighborhoods, in our streets and roadways, for our families, and for our employees. And with that, I'll be happy to entertain any questions that I may answer may be able to answer. Thank you, Mr. Brown. Ms. Larson. Okay. So I have a couple of questions. Um, the first one was about the projection for the revenue for the cigarette tax. Mm -hmm. um, when we talked about this last year, um, and we were talking about an 80 cent tax. I think our projections were about the same in the 3 million range. So I was wondering how you came up with the same range for less of a tax. Absolutely. And I will have my peer, Mr. John Weck, elaborate for you. I believe when the proposal was made last year uh, for an 80 cent rate, that was approximately $5 million. That was a calculation by council staff. Five, I see some Five nine. million? Yes, ma'am. And, okay. so, and the uh, proposal for fiscal year 2020 is based on uh, $0.28 cents, uh, per pack per capita, and there is an analysis attached to, to the ordinance for the implementation of that tax. Okay. Um, 
on the next page after that, there's a $2 million projection for the bedding fees. Does that also include, um, is that everything that we're getting from the casino? Because I understand there was, there's going to be taxes and, and other revenue that we're going to get from that facility. The primary source uh, fr from the from the owners what was embedding parlor fees. They also, I'm not sure they're all necessarily direct revenues. There may be some indirect revenues, increases in sales taxes, and more um, uh, business license fees and so forth. But and, and th this was um, this is a new uh, project. We don't have any history, um, and I believe they plan to open in late June. Um, so to um, hopefully err on the conservative side, we, we included two million dollars. Okay. Um, and then I noticed somewhere that you are rolling in the 2.2 in the fund balance for roads. Why aren't we using that now? I have Cherokee Road that is washed out and closed for two weeks for repairs. And council approved a resolution to support using that money now. Yes, I understand, Councilwoman Larson, but the recommendation from the mayor was to use this as a part of the proposed budget. Okay, so who can answer the question of why aren't we using it now? It's not appropriate now. It's not appropriate to use now, $2 million of fund balance money now. that's there now to repair our roads now? Yes, it has to be appropriate in order for it to be spent. And the proposed budget includes a recommendation to appropriate that beginning July 1. But the, but the mayor can appropriate it now. Yes, ma'am, I understand. But his recommendation is to use this as a part of the proposed budget. I understand. Thank you. Uh, and I will go around so that we can take questions. Um, and then we'll complete that. So let me go on this side. Uh, Ms. Robertson, any questions at this point? Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, I apologize for coming in a little late, so I missed a lot of the presentation. So um, I'd like to maybe take some time to review the full package and uh, get back with some questions. And that, that would be great. And those questions, if there are additional, we can get them to staff so that we can make sure we get the responses back. Mr. Jones, any questions at this point? Uh, I don't know whether um, they can be answered right now. It, it it's pertains to GRTC and how they choose to use the funding and what they feel equitable is as it relates to... Um, where their services will be expanded and things of that nature. So I don't know if that's anything that you can address. Um, yes, sir, Councilman Jones. Again, my understanding is that it, um, this proposed increase for GRTC is exclusively for that purpose only, um, and we should be able to provide you with the recommendations of those routes, if that's something that I believe you may be asking. Well, I most definitely would like to know that before, Absolutely. <laughs> before we approve that, because hopefully, mm -hmm. let me just say this, I, you know, I, I believe Lenoan, our school board representative, representative um, to go from her house 
which is not too far from uh, Tippenham Parkway to Huguenot High School, took her over an hour and a half. And it's roughly 10 minute drive if that. Um, and so you know, as we look at routes on South Side and things of that nature, I hope we have a, uh, uh, an equitable approach. Sure. Um, you know, in this process. Secondly, you know, as we talk about um, how we add routes and or change routes and things of that nature, I don't want to rob Peter to pay Paul. That uh, in looking at moving and having accessibility to some of our um, city-owned properties, that it could potentially necessitate a move of one route that has been a long-standing route within the 9th District just to accommodate um, access to Southside Community Center. Something needs to be, um, something should be said about, there is something to be said about having access to uh, our buildings. Um, we have Southside Community Center that should have um, a stop right next to it. Uh, and give accessibility to individuals in that area. Because, again, it's, it's outside community center. Although it's located in the night, it, it still should be relatively accessible to individuals in the 8th, 4th, wherever nearby uh, that can get to it in, an e you know, in, in a manner of ease. But right now, I think the nearest one is over. I mean, it's it, it's it's... I'm not going to say a mile because a mile is further than, than what it is not as far, but it's still not, you know, an easy walk for someone, you know, for any of our seniors that want to get there and take advantage of it. And so, again, as we talk about, um, you know, expanding, as we talk about increasing their investment, um, you know, we, we really need to have a conversation about the equability uh, of those routes and throughout the city, I, I just need more to understand what quote unquote throughout is. Sure. Thank you. And if I may add, Council, uh, Madam President, uh, the, that the additional funding is not to be used, again, not to be used for GRTC's projected deficit. Right, but specifically to address the concerns that have been articulated by yes, Mr. Jones as well as the community and many others. Yes, ma'am. Okay, Correct. Ms. Gray, I think Ms. Gray was, I saw Ms. Gray's hand, Ms. Uh, Trammell. So I had another line of questions, but I'm really concerned, and I want to know how, if we appropriated funds that were in the fund balance, how a road was allowed to be washed out. There's no plan. It's closed down. So... Is that the most responsible way to treat taxpayer dollars? That money is just sitting out there, and it could be repairing a major road in our city. So uh, just a, okay. a clarifi quick clarifi clarification on what I said. It, Mr. Vincent did send his team out there. They spent about two weeks r repairing the road. It is not a long-term permanent fix. However, the road got so bad that it was closed with 24 hours notice and 
I mean, things are a mess. We've been talking about this for months. So why hasn't that money been appropriated in this budget? We asked for it as a body. The mayor has the ability to bring forward the amendment. Why wasn't it done in this budget when we have so many needs? So first, I want to be clear, um, and Mr. Vincent was coming forward, but maybe you have the answer. The street has been addressed. I think my, I think and my then question I want is, to. But I think my question is clear. We have roads that are Yes, and I'm going to come I back to that. I spent $2,400 repairing my mm -hmm. car. I still have a cracked rim. I know many, many other people who have been calling me about Absolutely. major. I have a car mechanic telling me every customer he has has messed their wheel up trying to get into his business on Broad Street. Yeah. So I'm just trying to find out why we're sitting on money that this body elected to move exactly. forward and paving so and sidewalk again, projects. Mr. Vincent, ago, months. Mr. Vincent. I'm understanding the road has been temporarily repaired, and then I want to come back to Ms. Gray's question, um, and either you or Mr. Brown can answer that. Um, yes, ma'am. Good morning, Council. Bobby Vincent, Director of Public Works. Um, Cherokee Road was um, somewhat of a different circumstance as it was flooded with um, storm water running down the hill, um, and over time it obviously um, caused major issues with regards to that road. Um, as Councilperson Larson indicated, um, Public Works and Public utilities work together in order to repair some piping underneath that road in order to get that roadway back open. Um, uh, as, as is proposed, um, there's a significant um, deficiency with regards to budgeting for, for our roads. Okay. I think we all know that. So we are looking at it within this budget in order to um, try to right-size our budget. And I'm making a presentation to you all this afternoon um, to show you what the current conditions actually are so that when the time comes for you all to make some decisions with regards to what is being proposed, um, you have more um, intelligent data um, to go by. With Thank you, Mr. Vincent. Mr. Brown, well, uh, in response due, to Ms. Gray, let me get the answer to the last question that you had in terms of the movement with, with and utilization. With all due respect, I would like to reiterate my question. That's exactly we, where I'm going. Well, let me please, yeah. please, since I have, please, may I? I'm trying to figure out why you know, we say we have these great needs and there's not enough money there, but we found the money. We, by resolution, and that fund balance, asked for it to be appropriated for paving and sidewalks. And that money is just sitting there now, and we're saying we have to wait until July 1 to use it when people are out here damaging their vehicles and the roads are impassable, why wouldn't we spend the money now? Wouldn't that be the responsible thing to do? Mr. Brown, is that you or Mr. Vincent? Yes, Councilman Gray, I believe I understand your question in terms of why, isn't the, why has the money not been appropriated yet? Right. If I have a big hole in my roof and someone gives me the money to fix the hole in my roof and I sit on it for months, it's going to be more than a big hole in the roof. It's going to be structural damage potentially. It'll be more expensive if you sit on the money instead of doing the repairs that are needed today. So I don't understand why we're sitting on that money. If I may, my understanding is that um, Public Works 
has taken some steps to address it, and, it, and I'm just finding out that it probably has not, um, it's not in let's the place where the it should whole, be. Let's erase the specific of that roadway. Our roads are in decrepit condition, deplorable, and there's money there. There was fund balance left over. Why aren't we using that money to repair what we know needs to be repaired today? Why are we waiting? Is there a is it specific a capacity response? Issue? Is there, what? what is the issue? Because if it's a capacity issue, throwing more money at it and next year's budget isn't going to help. I think we're, Ms. Reed, are you coming forward relative to this item? Lenore Reed, DCAO for Finance and Administration. We do hear your concerns um, in regards to what council is saying in regards to the roadways and highways uh, for the city, but we do have a plan. And the Director of Public Works is implementing that plan as we speak, and it's an ongoing plan. What the mayor has identified in his budget is additional funding to say whether it's July 1 or even if we was to put forth with that now and going to a committee meeting, it would still be July 1. But we have current funding to address the needs of um, our roadways, and we are continuing to implement that plan on a, a daily basis, and we have prioritized that. And so we do hear your concerns, and we are moving expeditiously to address the concerns of the city as it relates to the roadways. So let me be clear. So, I'm, and I'm not sure, Mr. Vincent, if in your presentation you will discuss what we're doing currently. But, Madam President. As well, at, just a I, moment. Because I had the J floor. I understand that, but I want to get clarification on and what have, was just shared. I have follow -up And so questions. will you, in your presentation, talk about what we're doing currently in this year as well as the July 1 year? Um, it will discuss what our needs are and what we can, in fact, address with the proposed funding that is, in fact, being proposed by the mayor. Exactly. It seems like that the, that the question, however, is about the $2.2 million appropriation. That's correct. Uh, which the budget department has indicated is being appropriated within fiscal year 20. Okay. So Back to you, Ms. Gray. We so have the ability to have appropriated in FY19. It is a priority. And you know what I'd like to see? I'd like to see the claims we've gotten for potholes this, this year from last year. I would like to see how much we've had to pay out in claims because we are losing money by not doing the needed repairs. When we have the money in the bank. Why aren't we doing it now in FY19? Why are we sitting on it? Are we starving the department so that we can say things are so bad we need to increase taxes? What is the point of this? Ms. Coffey Glenn. Yes, Selena Coffey Glenn, the CAO for the city of Richmond. And certainly as Mr. Brown's indicated, he's laid out what the mayor has proposed in the 2020 plan. And we hope that council certainly will uh, approve the plan as presented. I do understand the concerns coming from all members of city council. And it has to be about the entire city. So it's not that anything is being or not addressed. It's the matter of the plan being orchestrated. Uh, we're not going to change our position as it relates to the 2020 budget. It is there. It's up to city council to make whatever decision you choose to as it relates to the funding that is being recommended. Bobby Vincent will be making a presentation at the informal meeting as it relates to conditions throughout the city, not in one particular district. At that time, you'll get a better sense of what the city needs are, and it's bigger than just one particular area. Thank you. Next set of questions. If I, if I yes. can just add that I yeah. believe this to be gross negligence on the part of the city administration. We have major 
repairs that are needed. We appropriate we by resolution ask for two point two million dollars in FY nineteen to be appropriated to address those issues and it's not being done. It is called gross negligence. Ms. Trammell, any questions? Thank you, Madam President. Um, I agree with my colleague. I know that and I, I I'll be glad when Bobby can come here this afternoon and present the presentation he's given on the streets or whatever. People are asking me, you know, how in the world are we going to be able to get to the neighborhoods and fix those streets when our main streets like Walmsley Boulevard, Maury Street, Broad Rock, um, I was just over there in um, Kristen's district yesterday um, going to Joe's Inn, and I could not believe it. it was like you bounce, bounce, bounce. And, and I mean, it's just awful. All the main roads, I mean, Jefferson Davis, all of them. So how are we going to have that much money to fix those streets and then get into the neighborhoods where we got, and as Bobby said, you have you can't pick, like if you go into one neighborhood, you got to do all the streets because then you make people mad because they say, why did you stop there and you didn't come over here and do this? You know, who chose this or who didn't choose my neighborhood? I mean, I don't know, you know, what the answer is, but, I mean, people are very, very upset. And people are saying that what they were told last year, the reason, I mean, they haven't even seen a pothole machine out here in months and months. And they're saying that they were told not to fix the potholes or whatever so the mayor could use this for his budget. Like, hey, we need more money to fix your streets. Well, why haven't you fixed these streets in the past year? And just like Kristen and Kim said, if the money was already, we voted on it, how come it wasn't already given to her for that, for Cherokee Road? And, and, I mean, people are very, very upset in this city over our streets. And also, I just want to say this, Madam President, mm -hmm. um, I want to thank Michael because um, he's right. you got Southside Community Center. People don't have the bus transportation. And I know when he had his senior day and we were in it together, people couldn't get there because there was no transportation to get there. And thank God GRTC did pick up some of the seniors and brought them to the senior day. But some people missed the bus. Thank you. Uh, Ms. Robinson? Yes, because I'm we have several other presentations, and I tried to be vigilant to make sure we get to everyone. I know we're going to have more questions than time, and so I'm absolutely for your question. But if there are questions we can't get to, then we will make a list, and staff will get those and get responses back. But yes, Madam please. President. Madam President. I only came back because I, at the time when you first yes. asked me, I felt I needed a little bit of time to look at some of the information that was that's in front of me, which is a huge volume of information, and I would assume that we're going to get more breakdown of this as we go through the specific departments, and we will Absolutely. be rehearing a lot of this information. Yes. But my question or request, uh, Madam Chair, if you will, is that for the purpose of clarity, uh, for me, um, I think that it, um, I would like to be able to look at a report from you of the new revenue, revenues that are coming in, that are in this budget, whether they are taxes or fees or other sources uh, by which we are generating additional revenue, with a report that shows us currently what those revenues are and how much an increase that is so that I can kind of get a feel for where we are going with increasing 
our fees and our taxes across uh, for the additional revenue in the budget. Um, is that clear? Yes, Okay. It is. Um, the other question that I have and would like to have more information on, there were several areas that I heard you make reference to that there would be a change in the management of facilities and other types of uh, activities um, to an in-house versus an other source that we've previously been using and that would generate savings? savings. Correct. Um, I would like to be able to see that sure. uh, in one report where we're making those kinds of changes in the kind of existing costs versus what we expect those savings to be and who's going to be, who was a previous service provider and what service provider are we moving it to. Um, and the other um, question, I cannot read my own writing, so I guess I'll have to pass on that. Sorry. <laughs> no problem. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Brown, if you would, as you pre uh, prepare the responses to the questions, both Absolutely. from Ms. Robertson as well as others that have come up, make sure they're going to uh, Ms. Brown so Absolutely. we can get them all, Absolutely. Uh, get them to all council members. Absolutely. Okay. Ms. Trammell, did you have a, an item? Madam President, you just said that if we have any other questions to give them to Megan and then, like, Yes, I think at this point, so that because we have two other presentations we're trying to get through in this first work session, so if we go on and get those to Megan, who will then interface with Mr. Brown to make sure we get the responses and get them back to all council members. Okay? Mr. Yeah, yes, ma'am. Mr. Sorry. Jones. Ms. Robertson, Mr. Jones, and can we I read will what I can read. Um, the question that was this, this weird that we've been dealing with um, quite a bit this morning is relates to the fund balance and council's decision as it relates to the fund balance. Um, I would like to request that, the, that our staff put that on our legislative agenda, that we look at our policy as it relates to our fund balance, because I think it is somewhat... Um, disturbing if council vote on the use of appropriation of fund balance with the intention of seeing those funds being used there to find at the end of the year those funds are going to be reappropriate are going to be counted as a part of revenue for the upcoming year and I think that we either need to know that if we make those decisions that it will happen and if, if there's something that preventing us I want that to be added to our legislative agenda so that we can fix that. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Robertson. Mr. Jones? M Madam President, thank you. And I, 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 won't, I won't be long. I just want to try and lay a, a, a framework, um, especially as we move through this, this budgeting process. Um, because, we, again, we, we don't spend a lot of time talking about how we're going to go through this and how, uh, from a processing standpoint, how we're going to approach um, this time. And it's just like a, a – it just feels like a free-for-all at times. Um, I want to make sure and ensure that, as we have our discussions, that we're talking about uh, equability, you know, just being equitable across the city. If we're going to have one Richmond – 
Um, the status quo cannot remain. The one thing I found when I came on council two years ago is that we have two, two cities. We have two school systems. We have, it, there, there's just a difference. And I think that is, it is reaching a level of immorality. It just is. Certain areas of our city look completely different for no reason. Grass is grass. And if there's grass on the south side, it ought to be cut just like it should be cut on the north side. If there are schools on the south side, uh, they should be the same as the schools on the north side. And to do this, to do it in a timely manner and not have it be a decade that we're still sitting here challenged with some of the same uh, uh, obstacles, we, we really have to look at how we address our budgeting process and what we're going to do to move forward. I am for the full funding of schools. Um, that is something I campaigned on, to make sure that schools are funded. That's something we looked at when I was on the Education Committee. Uh, and, and I hope throughout this process, as individuals say what members of the city may or may not want, because we all have different stories of raising taxes or not raising taxes, of fees, of not fees, um, people have been knocking on my door. Uh, uh, to have conversations about it. But the one thing that we have to take very seriously are our neighborhoods and our schools. And I hope throughout this process that we do not simply lift up the status quo. There needs to be a change, and I hope that we address that. And let me say one other thing as we challenge this. So, but, Mr. Jones, before you go forward, I want to make sure that there – the first item that you're making note of is really applying an equity lens to the budget. Yes, ma'am. And to the allocations. That's what you're lifting up here. Just I don't want that to be lost. And I think the administration has certainly um, uh, talked about that in uh, this budget, but that doesn't mean that there's not more that can be done. So I just want to raise that. Yes, ma'am. And then your last item will be? Uh, as we... It, this entire budget, our goal is to balance the budget uh, or, or to make sure that uh, we approve a budget uh, on council, rather. And as we look to do that, um, this budget is balanced based upon tax increases. And so as we move, as we choose, as we try to find a different way to reach, uh, hopefully, similar goals, um, that we would, as a council, be open and honest about what we're doing. Um, I know in years past we've just asked uh, the budget staff or, or our budget department within council staff to go and just find money. Um, and a lot of times stuff gets slashed and trying to figure out where it's coming from, where it's not coming from, who generated and who did not generate it. And I believe it's unfair to just put it on our staff to say, you know, well, it was Megan, Bill, or Mr. Jackson that found the money. Um, where if I ask them to go find money, I should stand by that cut. Okay. You know, I, I should stand by that direction. And that's something that I'm seeing as, you know, as chair of finance, that if there's something that I'm asking to be done, my name is by that resolution, my name is by that ordinance, my name is by uh, uh, that uh, action. And the only thing I would ask as a matter of protocol uh, and to lift this up is that, you know, if if we're proposing cuts, that it's not just staff finding money arbitrarily, but if we as council are doing our due diligence with staff, 
that it's not staff that found the money, but Councilman Michael Jones that found money in this area as not to, you know, throw the stone and hide my hand. I hear you. And, and so uh, as a matter of process, I, I would just yes. lift up um, that if if we are recommending cuts to anywhere in this budget, that a counselor's name would be by and not staff's name. Because, again, um, when I go to my district meeting, I can't say staff did this because they're going to look and say, Mr. Jones, we elected you and our neighbors, you know, elected you and you and you. So that, that, that's, that's what I'm asking as a matter of process. Duly noted, Mr. Jones. Um, duly noted. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Brown and presenters. I would ask that we queue up for the next presentation. Well, Madam President, could, could we get some consensus on that as, for, as we move forward? Because if not, staff is going to do what they've always done. And I apologize. Yes, and Ms. Brown, Ms. Brown will speak to that, but that is something that we will proceed with in this budget process to note the uh, council person. Okay. Yes, and we've always um, noted the council person, whether it was a reduction or an increase. The only ones that said staff recommendations were when they were exactly staff recommendations and there was no patron from a member. But if a member is patron to a decrease or an increase, we make sure that their name is tied to it. Madam Chair. Ms. Roberts. Uh, just a... I left my general fund budget in the chamber and it's not at my desk and I wanted to check to see if uh, it's somewhere else in the chamber before we actually go to that review process and whether or not the staff may have. The general fund? Yes. Okay. We're, we will take a look for that and if it's not here, we'll make sure that we work with the administration to get you another copy. Um, if we could queue up for the next presentation, if um, staff, okay, but I want to see if someone will be responsive to Ms. Robertson uh, relative to the budget item at some point to make sure she gets a full packet. Thank you. Welcome, Mr. Cameras. Thank you. If it pleases the council, I have a few documents to yes. pass out. Are there any hard copies of the budget? Ms. Gray of which? The school proposed budget. The f are you referencing the full document? Yeah. We do not have hard copies today, but there are electronic copies available uh, on our website. So we'll make sure that we get those, Ms. Gray, to everyone. Thank you. Madam President, you give yes. me a hard copy, please. Will you get me a hard copy? Said that a little louder, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, what? No, would you repeat what you asked? I said, did you just say that you'll get us a hard copy? Yes, exactly. We would make sure that you get hard copies. I'm sorry. Thank you. Yes. President yes. Newbill and council members, thank you so much for the opportunity 
to spend some time with you this morning discussing the FY20 Richmond Public Schools budget. I wanted to begin by just saying thank you to the council. Uh, first, for welcoming me to Richmond over the past year. It is a great honor to be serving as superintendent in this city and serving the children and families and staff of Richmond Public Schools. As I've often said, I believe that the next uh, founder of Google and the commander of the Mars mission and um, the next president is sitting in Richmond Public Schools classrooms right now. Uh, if we, the adults, provide them with the opportunities they deserve. And I believe that the mayor's proposed budget takes a giant step forward to providing those opportunities that our children deserve. So thank you. I'm not sure who has the... Do I have the clicker? I have the clicker. All right. I also want to take a moment to thank this body for passing the meals tax last year. As a result of that passage, as you all know, we have been able to begin construction on three new schools, a new George Mason, a new Green Elementary, and a new middle school on Hull Street. In fact, uh, the construction fencing has gone up at the Hull Street site, so you should soon see activity there. Uh, again, we are charging towards opening these schools in the fall of 2020. When we began the budgeting process this year, we set out three guiding principles. Number one, to put our financial house in order. As we have advocated for additional funding, which I believe our schools desperately need, we also believe we must do everything possible to demonstrate to the public and to this body that we are being good stewards of the funds we already have. And so towards this end, as has been discussed quite a great deal, we have made cuts rather than ask for additional funds to maintain critical recurring expenditures from last year that we funded with one-time money. As a refresher, some of those expenditures were things like a 2% raise for teachers, as well as more ESL and bilingual staff to support families and students on the South Side. In addition, we cut inefficient programs, or programs that were not meaningfully contributing to student learning, and we have begun a process of rezoning to ensure that we are using our facilities as efficiently as possible. Second principle, we believe as we take these steps, it is critical that we do everything possible to hold our schools harmless. As results, the cuts that we put forward all came from the central office. And third, that our funding requests be focused on our strategic plan called Dreams for RPS, which you have a copy of, and on providing the local portion of the General Assembly's teacher raise. And so the $18 million in new revenue from the city goes directly towards those priorities. And that is what I will discuss in further detail now. 
This is an overview of our approved FY20 operating budget, which comes in at roughly $310 million. I would draw your attention to the city's appropriation as, of course, that is most germane for the discussion today, at roughly $175 million, which is a net increase of $17.96 million, roughly $18 million. And the mayor's budget proposes uh, a, a bit more than that for a few other programs, which we are incredibly grateful for as well. It's that $18 million that I'll be discussing in more detail in the next several slides. As I mentioned, we now have a strategic plan for the next five years called Dreams for RPS. This is a plan that was developed over the course of several months, over 170 community meetings, over 3,000 people contributed to the writing of this plan, and it was passed unanimously by the Richmond City School Board. And I truly believe it reflects the dreams and aspirations of our community for the children of Richmond Public Schools. The first priority, priority one, is exciting and rigorous teaching and learning. Those are two very important adjectives. Exciting, we want our children running to class because they know that their natural curiosity will be leveraged and explored in their classrooms every day. And we want the learning to be rigorous. If we hold the bar high for our children, they will rise to the occasion. And so in this priority, we have allocated $5.5 million specifically for new teaching positions to add more enrichment classes, things like art and music and world languages, as well as new investments to begin redesigning our middle and high schools to ensure that they are the kind of spaces that are attractive not only to our students but to our families as well. New reading supports to help ensure that all of our students are reading at or above grade level. This is absolutely critical for our young people. New, more exciting and rigorous English and math curricula and new efforts to begin reimagining how we support students receiving special education services students who don't speak English as their native language, and students who haven't been successful in the traditional school setting. This is a significant investment, but this priority is, after all, our core work, teaching and learning. Priority two is skilled and supported staff. We can't do anything without outstanding teachers, and counselors, bus drivers, nurses, and everybody else who supports our young people every day in Richmond Public Schools. And so making sure that they have the support that they need and the skills that they need to be successful is absolutely critical. For this priority, we have allocated $2.8 million, including new investments to improve the customer service that we provide to our employees, which is critical to retaining them, and expanding our teacher recruitment efforts. Also, new investments to attract and retain more male teachers of color. Also, new professional development for our teachers that is tied to the new curricula that is meaningful and relevant to their 
classrooms. Also, new efforts to expand partnerships with local schools of education to train teachers in high-need subject areas. And finally, new investments to begin designing training to ensure our schools are inclusive of all students, families, and staff. Priority three is safe and loving school cultures. Our very first priority is to keep our young people safe, but we must do so much more than that. We need to make sure that our schools are loving and nurturing places for each and every one of our young people. Here we have allocated $770,000 for new mental health positions to support students facing trauma in their lives. I don't think I need to reiterate for this body the great challenges that so many of our young people face from gun violence uh, to abuse and other issues that are prevalent, unfortunately, in so many of our young people's lives. New training for teachers on restorative justice practices to break the school-to-prison pipeline. New investments to celebrate students and staff to ensure that our schools have more joyful cultures. Schools should be a happy place. And new classroom management training to help teachers support all of their students and maintain safe and positive learning environments. Priority four, deep partnership with families and community. For this priority, we have allocated $660,000. Here we have new investments to train and pay teachers to voluntarily conduct home visits to deepen relationships with students and families. This is something that I had the opportunity to do as a teacher, but also to receive as a parent. And I can tell you it is truly transformational. New mentoring program to connect African-American male leaders with our African-American young men. We'll be launching this in just a couple of weeks, and so we're extremely excited about that. A new family academy to help RPS families better navigate the school division, and more effectively advocate for their children. And finally, new customer service training to ensure that all students, families, and staff of all backgrounds feel welcome at our schools. Fifth priority is modern systems and infrastructure. For this priority, we've allocated $2.03 million dollars. First and foremost, new HR and budget platforms to bring RPS into the 21st century. We are using platforms that are from the 1980s, and as a result, we are unable to provide the customer service or the data that we need to effectively manage all parts of the organization. In addition, a new effort to complete a rezoning plan by the end of 2019 that would be comprehensive covering the entire school division. In addition, new buses and driver positions to help us eliminate the double backs and triple backs and improve the overall transportation experience for our students and families. And finally, a new pilot program to improve the nutritional value of, but also the student satisfaction with our school meal program. In addition to this strategic plan, as I mentioned, our budget provides for the local match of the General Assembly's teacher raise. I should note that the raise 
is not just for teachers, but actually for just about all staff in the division. Also, it is important to note that because of the LCI and the way the state calculates funding, about a third of the cost of the raise comes from the state. But in Richmond, two-thirds comes from the locality, which is approximately $6.1 million. I should note that last year, RPS gave a 2% increase. And so this year, staff, assuming the budget is approved, would see another 3%, bringing the total for the biennium to 5%. I also want to note, as I promised last year, teachers will also see an additional 1.17% in an annual step increase this year. Just a note about teacher pay, as you can see, it is critical as we work to ensure that we have a robust teaching force, that we pay in a manner that is competitive. And as you can see right now, Virginia pales in comparison to the national average by several thousand dollars. Slide 14 provides an overview of the 13 million central office reduction. Roughly 4 million came from non-personnel cuts. These are things such as contracts and supplies. Approximately 3.2 million came from personnel cuts. And approximately 5.5 million came from one-time expenditures that we will not be continuing into FY20. Finally, a few additional notes uh, that I wanted to share. First, we welcome public accountability on our goals. These 10 goals are outlined in Dreams for RPS. They have been adopted unanimously by the Richmond City School Board. As the measure of our success, we are in the process of determining baseline data for all 10 of these goals, and we will be reporting out on these goals uh, through an annual scorecard, and we will provide interim updates with interim measures as well. Second, I wanted to reiterate that we have begun the rezoning process and our goal and our commitment is to have a comprehensive rezoning plan completed and approved by the end of 2019. Assuming that is the case, the plan would begin to be implemented in the fall of 20. Third, we've received some questions about our enrollment, and so I did want to share that our average daily membership, which drives our budget, has actually been fairly stable over the last several years. I will note that the 1819 number is a projection. We will have the official number after the March 31st ADM count, and we are using that same number as the projection for our budget in 1920. I'll conclude in the same way that we began our strategic planning process with the famous poem by Langston Hughes, What Happens to a Dream Deferred. My hope, as the mayor has said, is that we will move forward 
with the bold and courageous investments that the mayor has put forth so that we no longer defer the dreams of our children here in Richmond Public Schools. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Cameras. Council members, questions? Ms. Larson. Uh, thank you for that presentation, Dr. Cameras. <clears throat> um, for the three schools that you all are, are building, um, I understand that the the total construction costs are around $140 million. Correct. So can I get a breakdown of that? Um, something that says, like, we're spending this much on architecture services, this much on construction, this much on project management? Sure, absolutely. I don't have that available right now, but I'm glad to put that together for you. Okay, and you'll email it to us? Absolutely. Okay. And then... Um, the enrollment stuff, yes. I'm still a little confused because um, we got this from Darren Simmons. Yes. Um, I think on Thursday or Friday. Yes. And um, I understand that you're saying for this year, your March 31st counts are 21900 that is what but, we're projecting. That's correct. Okay, but on this sheet, it's saying twenty-two thousand four hundred. That is what was used for budgeting purposes last year okay. for this year. But it is uh, likely higher than what we anticipate. We anticipate based on the data we have from this year, mm -hmm. that we will likely be very close to 21,900, which as you can see is very much in line with the last several years. Okay. So, um, I'm a little, I'm still confused, maybe even more than before, about the lobbyist said that when they came before us a couple weeks ago, they said the state was under the understanding that you all were going to lose 800 students. And then when I looked at this, it looked more like 500. And then you're saying you're going to stay flat. So I think where there is confusion in this process is that <clears throat> the state puts out a set of numbers based on a certain enrollment. Mm -hmm. Thereafter, throughout the course of the year, they make adjustments based on the actual enrollment. And so that number adjusts down or up as necessary based on the actual enrollment. What I am sharing here is that for the last several years, we have been roughly in the 21,700 to the 21,900 range. When you look at the 22400 number again, that was used as a projection for this year for budgeting purposes, um, but it is not an actual number. The actual number, we believe, will be consistent with prior years, which is 21900 Okay. So do you have any understanding as to why the state's numbers are so different than your numbers? Because I think when all of us heard the 800 student decline in enrollment, we all, you know, stop for a minute and 
we're, we're concerned because that's, you know, a, a school. So I'm glad to connect with uh, the state to understand and look at what data is being shared. But again, as best as we can tell, uh, the enrollment has been stable. Uh, there is one other factor which sometimes further confuses this. There's a program called Virtual Virginia, which allows students across Virginia to enroll in virtual school. We are the fiscal agent for what's called VAVA, but we're just a pass-through entity. But those students, depending upon when you're looking at the data, show up in our overall enrollment. And at other points, once they've taken the money off, they disappear from our enrollment. So sometimes that compounds the confusion and looks like a decline when really all that it is is moving those kids off of our roles since they are not technically our students. But I am glad to uh, provide additional in-depth information about this for the council and glad to sit down with you one-on-one and go through it further. Okay. Um, Council President, I just have two more questions. Okay. Um, All right. So for the teacher raises... Um, is there a way to combine the, the, the raise and the step? Like, I know we have to spend a certain amount on the local side to get the state match. So could you absorb the step increase as part of the local match? I think you understand the, the what I'm saying? Answer... I, I mean, because... It is a, a, a pay increase. I think the short answer is no. Uh, the raise is clearly indicated as a raise, not an annual step increase or cost of living adjustment, though I understand your point. I would also say I felt very strongly um, last year when we gave the 2% increase Um, in our discussions with teachers that we would ensure that they also got their annual step increase um, as part of this year's budgeting process. So, in fact, we are paying for that step increase through our cuts. We are not asking the city, have not asked the city, for any additional funds to pay for the step increase. We have only asked the city for the funds to match the raise. Oh, okay, I mean, it's just a big pot of money. So <laughs> I, I, I get what you're saying. It's roughly, but, but it's um, roughly the, the, the step increase is uh-huh. roughly $2 million. Okay. Um, and I stand behind it. I believe our teachers deserve it. I, I agree 100% that our teachers deserve it. I'm just trying to see what the options are here. Um, okay, so... In your priority four, where you're talking about the family academy, yes. so I have a sp- specific question, and Council President, this is my last one, but also like a bigger question. Um, so the family academy reminds me a lot of the FACE program. I don't know if that's being um, dismantled or not and being replaced with the family academy, but just in general for your... Um, your improvement plan, 
I mean, are there is there a are there existing funds in the budget? There are programs that are covering some of these things. Now, you might not feel that the programs are effective, and you're looking to rebuild the programs, which I get. But if you're dismantling one and replacing it with another, there's a pot of money there. So the Family Academy is new. It mm-hmm. is not replacing anything. Mm-hmm. It is an effort to uh, provide support and training to families on issues, for example, like special education. Mm-hmm. A lot of families find it very difficult to advocate for their young people because the laws surrounding special education are, are quite complicated, even for educators. And so this would be an effort to further empower our families to be strong advocates for their children. That does not currently exist uh, in, in that form. I think what you may be referencing is the Welcome Center, um, which we are also adding capacity, which is designed to support newcomer families, largely families from Central America um, who often do not speak English. And so we have invested more in that as well uh, to not only help them navigate the system, but also to more accurately identify their children's grade level and English-speaking capability. What we found is, in some cases, uh, students were being referred for services by virtue of the fact that they had recently immigrated, even if perhaps they didn't need them because they actually had some advanced skills from their home country. And so we wanted to more equitably uh, provide those services, and so that's one of the things that we'll be doing at the Welcome Center. So is the FACE program, does that still exist, or is it? Uh, The FACE program has been absorbed into the larger Office of Engagement, which has a broader mandate than uh, the FACE team. So with with programs that are being reworked, Mm -hmm. then where is the funding going for that? Is any of of that programmatic funding going into the new absolutely um, yes strategic Every, plan? Everything has been, uh, for lack of a better word, scrubbed and repurposed as best as possible. Um, that was a critical step when we considered the thirteen million dollars in cuts. Um, you can't make that level of cut and not rethink how you're using what's left. And so everything has been looked at very closely and repurposed and reinvested in ways to support the strategic plan. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Cameras, just in follow-up uh, with Ms. Larson's um, questions, if you, when you provide the breakdown for the three schools, if you would send that information to Megan as well so we can make sure all council members receive that as well as any further clarification relative to enrollment and Absolutely. the state position and where we are with that. Other questions? Ms. Gray? So um, I do have the questions on the capital side, and I'd like to um, get some more information on the capital maintenance as well and uh, uh, to date on the spending, not what's been allocated to be spent, but to date what's been spent. Um, I'm also confused. Um, I'm confused about the enrollment number because it showed a $4.8 million 
um, reduction in state funding due to decline, declining enrollment. So is that all to be attributed to the virtual school, or is any of it a decline in the actual RPS budget, not just the pass-through? So again, the state uses certain numbers for enrollment to make their initial allocations. Those are not actuals. Then the locality provides the actuals over the course of the year. But I just want to be clear, it is not actually a drop in enrollment. There just may be a change between what was projected or what the state is using and what the actual is. So that's a very common occurrence over the course of the year. I also want to add there are other reasons why the state funding uh, drops from the initial allocation. I understand about other categories that Mm -hmm. were reduced. I'm specifically asking about enrollment because that's a really big piece Mm -hmm. of the funding. And if there was a projection that you were supposed to grow by 800 and didn't grow, that would make sense. But if there's a projection that says you're going to stay steady and you're seeing a 4.8 million reduction, obviously they're seeing or projecting enrollment will drop. And 800 is the equivalent of a middle school. So So that's a significant, I, I, I mean, I can understand a percentage here or there, but that's a significant number that I'm, I'm a little concerned about how the state overprojected by that much, if that's what you're saying, in your enrollment count, or if we're losing students. We're not losing students. As you can see, it's relatively flat. Uh, you laid out two, opportunity, or, or two possible explanations. One is that flat enrollment was projected and we were actually down. The other is that higher enrollment was projected but were flat. It's that second one. 22.4 was projected, but we are likely to be around where we were last year, which is 21.900. And so what we're seeing here is a difference between projections on paper and reality. But again, I want to reiterate, for the last several years, and it looks like we will continue into this year, we have relatively stable enrollment. Thank you. Other questions? Well... That's not what the spreadsheet is showing. Okay. Um, I do have additional questions, if I might. Um, the Last year, you told us you were reducing the size of the central office um, and your cabinet. So in 2018, that was 13 positions. In this 2020 proposed budget, it's 19 positions. And there's... In that administrative line, over a million dollar increase. So, how is that a reduction in the central office and administrative side? So, what you're referring to is not a reflection of the entire central office by any stretch of the imagination. The central office has uh, somewhere on the order of 200 positions after this cut. What you're referencing has uh, roughly a dozen positions. Um, that data is not particularly useful for the following reason. It is not an apples-to-apples comparison. So, for example, some positions from the prior cabinet 
for some reason, were not included in that administrative line, whereas all of the positions on the current cabinet are. And so there's a lot of, frankly, ambiguity and lack of clarity about what was in the number and what wasn't in the number. So so can you give me a chart of what that looks like? Absolutely. Also, with respect to... um, and last year, you got $12.5 million in one-time funding. Was anyone anywhere told that one-time funding should not be utilized to hire $12.5 million worth of new people? And is uh, that well, why we're in this situation we're in now? We didn't use uh, the entirety of those funds to hire new individuals. So well, I want to I clarify that. Pretty much. Number two, I want to indicate that we had robust discussions about this, and it's in public record about whether to use those funds. I stand by our decision because I want to remind the public what we use those funds for. One, 2% raise for our teachers, and you saw the data about where our teachers stack up against the rest of the country. Two, we provided funds for desperately needed ESL teachers and bilingual staff on the south side, where I had families coming to me in tears because there was nobody at their school who spoke Spanish, and they had no way of advocating for their children, where we had schools that had three ESL teachers for a 1,000 ELL students. And so I stand by... And I, those and I understand. Decisions. May I finish, I, council member? Yes. I stand by those decisions, and yes, there is a cost to that, which is why, as I said at the outset, we said we are going to be fiscally responsible. We have not asked the mayor or this body for any funds to take care of those one-time uses, and that is why we have made internal cuts to be able to continue those services. So let's get to the internal cuts because it appears that you're adding 48 new full-time employees. You're cutting 49. So essentially it's a wash. Um, that's an that, addition. That's, and, that's and not quite accurate. We worked to address the language barriers by hiring people who spoke more than one language instead of hiring people on top of people. You can recruit and find people who speak Spanish if that's if the if there's already a position funded. So and I know that's a challenge. But um how where where are the actual cuts? And I was on a school board in two thousand nine when we had to cut twenty five million dollars. Um, we were very transparent about that because the markets crashed Real estate revenue was down. We worked with RPS employees. We told the employees early on which positions were going to be eliminated. We worked with them on their resumes. We worked with them on finding any open and available positions. And we exercised the policy that is on the books for reduction in force. Are you utilizing the reduction in force policies that are a requirement of the school board? I don't, I don't understand how you can reduce your staff and not follow school board policy for that. If it's not a termination for performance, you must follow the reduction in force policy unless that policy 
is changed by the school board. So how is this being done without following that specific policy? If I'm an employee of 25, 30 years in RPS, and I have a contract and I have a policy that I go to, that's your Bible, and then all of a sudden I get 11th hour notification that my position is going away, where do I go ethically? How do you how do you not follow that policy if that's what's on your book? Number one, we are following that policy. In fact, we've had extensive discussions with um, our board lawyers to make sure that we are following every aspect of that policy. Number two, our employees uh, now have approximately four months of notice about the loss of their positions. Number three, we are in the process actively of identifying other vacancies within RPS and within city government that may be a good fit for some of these employees. Number four, we are working to develop outplacement services along with resume support and interview training and other supports to ensure that we can successfully help as many of these employees as possible find alternative employment so that they will not have any break in income or service. So as of last week, I was told that there were still employees who have not been notified. Well, one of the reasons an employee may not have been notified is because per the RIF rules, there are some positions that require us to follow a tenure-based layoff approach. To do that requires a great deal of data analysis, which we are doing right now. And so some of those employees will be notified once that process has been completed, which should be within the next week. So you still don't know who might be? I want to, I want to be clear. We have been exceedingly precise about all the positions that are not continuing in next year's budget. Where we can know who the individual is, we have informed those individuals. Where there is a seniority-based process, we have to go through the exercise of identifying every employee in the school division who is at the same grade level and understand what their tenure is before we can notify. That process, as you understand, takes some time to make sure we do it appropriately and effectively. Well, it takes and so in a few cases, it is a handful, less than 10, I would say, we have not yet been able to because we're in the process of identifying the appropriate data. So I want to uh, move us and stay. Fo- so thank you for that update, number one, and I thank you for a, that question. But a- okay, let me just go back to one piece. The central office staff listing that Ms. Gray referenced, if you will also provide that Absolutely. information. Uh, and then Ms. Gray, you have. What I I would really like to see is a summary of all eliminated positions and added positions and the dollar amount associated with those positions. That would, a summary of that, that would be helpful. Um, And any revised prior org charts and revised org charts for RPS. Uh, Because, and I have, I have, Many more questions, but I don't want to. Um, I'll submit some more questions um, at another point. But as far as the state, you said a third of the raises 
Um, is that a third of the total in the aggregate? Because the state matches the teacher salaries, not everyone's salary, correct? Um, I would have to confer with the team on the specifics, um, but I would say even for the teachers, it's not 50-50 because of the LCI. RPS, or rather Richmond, is responsible for a larger portion right. than the state. So just would like a breakdown because Absolutely. we were not able, when we, when we had to um, institute the increases <clears throat> due to VRS, um, we weren't able to give everyone an increase, but we differentiated and gave s slightly smaller increases to other staff and employees. Um, the other... The other question I have, I'm, I'm just really confused about how we, had, we did have salary decompressions built into the budget and planned out, and those went by the wayside in the last budget. So are those decompressions in your current budget? You're speaking about teachers? Yes. Yes. So... Last year, or, or rather when I arrived, yes, the salary had been decompressed, but nowhere in the budget was funding for teachers to move up a step for another year of service, which is why last year when we gave the 2% raise, teachers felt that it was not truly a raise because they were expecting a step increase and the two person. Well, there were multiple years. We could do. We could not do the decompression in one year. It was multiple no, years of decompression. And last year was the first year that it was fully decompressed. But again, there was no funds budgeted for teachers to move up a step a year. And so I made it a priority and promised our teachers that they would get that step increase this I year. I don't believe your budget last year decompressed. I think you gave a percent increase, but the decompression schedule was not. I think we're having a semantics uh, issue, so I'm glad to uh, provide further information on this for you. If okay. you would, that would be great sure. to make sure staff gets that clarification in terms Absolutely. of what was actually given and the difference in terms. Absolutely. Of. Thank you. Ms. Trammell? Many, Excuse um, me one second, Ms. Gray, for the additional questions, if you'll make sure that Ms. Brown gets those and so that we can get the responses. Oh, well, okay. thank you. Ms. Trammell. Thank you. How many employees um, were let go last week or that found out about their jobs being eliminated? How many? There are 74 positions that are being eliminated for next year. They are not all filled, though. So some of those were vacancies. Um, I can get the exact number for you. I'd like to have that. And also, you just made a statement that the ones that have been, that you're going to find them other jobs. I, I did not say that. What I said all right, is... All right, you clear up what you just said, okay? Cause that's I will absolutely I clarify. We will do everything we can to help them find uh, continued employment, but I cannot guarantee uh, that they will all be placed into new positions. Yeah, because you just got finished saying a few minutes ago that there might be some more. So I'm wondering if there's going to be more. Are you going to still help them to find another, um, some employment to through I the will city? I always Is help. It through, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm talking. Would this be through the city, you know, 
through um, the schools, or did you mean like through government agencies? What did, exactly what did you mean? Well, RPS has a number of vacancies, as does the city, as we just saw in the presentation. I think those would be the first places for us to look for possible opportunities for these individuals to apply for jobs that they are qualified for, but there may be private sector positions as well. And so we are going to try to take every step that we possibly can to help these individuals find continued employment. Thank you. I'll have more questions later. Thank you. Thank you. Ms. Jermel, uh, if you would, make sure you get your questions to Ms. Uh, Brown as well so that we can get responses. Uh, Mr. Cameras, what might be helpful, uh, you shared the reduction in force policy and the actions that you're taking. Uh, if you can just give us some, a summary document so that we can all have that and know the places that you're directing folks, it might be helpful. Absolutely. Thank you. Mr. Jones and then Ms. Robertson. Thank you, Madam President. Mr. Cameras, appreciate your uh, or your presentation. Um, again, for me, this entire budget conversation has to be about um, bridging the gaps between the haves and the have-nots. Um, and, and that discussion has to be had throughout this entire process um, because there are disparities. As people are talking about sidewalks and roads, I, I don't even have sidewalks on which we can walk in the ninth district uh, to even get to Green Elementary at this point, um, and so again, I want to I want to ensure that, and we're going to hear this. This is going to be my reoccurring theme throughout these meetings, throughout these sessions, that we have got to find a way to bridge the gaps because th there there's too great a disparity between those that have and those that do not have, and it is exhibited in our budget practices in the past. And so what I'm looking for, Madam President, uh, in this year's budget is how do we reach a level of equity? Uh, Mr. Cameras, there are instances at Green Elementary and other schools in the Ninth District where my Latino families cannot get a child out to get to a medical appointment, and they have to reschedule those. And these are families that will Uber uh, that will take taxis to the school, <clears throat> be delayed because there's no one in the office, Madam President, that speaks Spanish to communicate with our Richmond residents to go and get a child out, which should take minutes. Um, and for an individual, we all know about taking off from work. I don't care how much money you make. Um, it's, it's a chore to take off from work. Um, and then have to go and get a child. And then to have that that appointment canceled and have to be rescheduled where that family has to go through the same process again, that, that can be addressed in the budgeting process and must be addressed in the budgeting process. My prayer is that we do not have, I will not have a community meeting um, where another family comes up and gives that heart-wrenching, uh, testimony of interaction with um, yes. Richmond Public Schools. That, 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 that cannot happen. I will not profess to spend as much time in the schools uh, as you or your staff. But what I see, there, there needs to be a leveling of the playing field. Um, and so again, I, how, how do we get there? 
this is our opportunity in this budget process to make sure that our schools have what they need and not just one side, but again, that there is equity. And that may mean, uh, Madam President, that more funds might need to be shifted around to make sure, to ensure that what needs to take place on the south side um, happens. You know, we're, 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 we're still, and th this is just an analogy to prove a point, hyperbole to prove a point. I mean, we're in a streaming society and we're still on cassette tapes um, in, in many of our neighborhoods. And we have an opportunity as council to address that. And, okay. and it should. So uh, uh, I would like to know, uh, Mr. Cameras, and, and again, not, not right now. You can get, get it to me in the weeks uh, to come. How are we addressing uh, the ESL needs um, and uh, the obstacles within uh, the communicative process with our students and our families in our city? I know there are other districts throughout the Commonwealth where a lot of the communication that goes out, it's not even in two languages. You're talking Farsi and different things of that nature. And as we talk about having a diverse community and, and being this, this one city, you know, communication is at the base of that. And it's arrogance to sit back and say, well, they've got to learn our language. That, that, that's a level of arrogance and elitism on our side. And so I, I hope we can... Uh, truly make that happen. But, Madam President, if we could get that information. Yes, and Mr. Cameras referenced uh, in his presentation, I think, a uh, awareness of the need to ensure that equity is the lens through which we look in terms of staffing uh, as well as other components of the strategic plan. And so Absolutely. if we can highlight very specifically uh, those strategies uh, that would be helpful, and if you can get that again to staff, and then we'll get that that out to everyone. Ms. Robertson, thank you, Mr. Jones, thank you. Uh, for continuing to raise this. Equity is very different than simply division. Yes, uh, Ms. Robertson, and then thank we'll round Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, thank you, uh, Mr. Superintendent, for the presentation. Um, I have a couple of questions. I'd like to reemphasize the piece that one of the things that uh, was emphasized when you first came into Richmond is the equity plan. Um, I'd like to know the status of what that is and if that has been done and whether or not we have been able to uh, clearly indicate where there is an imbalance of equity and how your uh, strategic plan aligns with that equity plan and adjusting that. Um, I am also concerned that I want to make sure that the cuts that are being made by the different departments and divisions within your uh, $13 million cut, um, I appreciate the request for those detailed information on those and also as a part of that information, if you would share with us how adjustments are being made within the system to uh, compensate for those cuts that are being made uh, in other ways to ensure that the quality of the delivery is not compromised as a part of that process. 
One of the things that I'm concerned about as it relates to the equity thing is that when we make the changes of cuts and the equity in looking at equity across the system, uh, whether or not the reprogramming is specifically have a greater potential of affecting people uh, of poverty uh, levels. Uh, I realize that some of the programs allows up to 100% of poverty level, others go up to 200% uh, level of poverty, and so I'm concerned as to whether or not your restructuring and reprogramming may create a uh, deficiency and eligibility for certain levels of poverty, if you could make sure that we address that. The other thing that I would like to have more information on is your uh, the defining the cur curriculum sometimes is a little vague for me. Uh, I realize that there are areas that you've identified that you'd like to see more resources put in as it relates to parenting, uh, health care, uh, and um, making sure that those persons that are not speaking English, that we are providing the resources that are needed for there. What I'm not clear what, and I would like more uh, definition on, one of the things that we've asked the administration to do is to go to outcome budgeting, where we actually uh, say what we expect the outcomes to be. Uh, I think you have general statements of outcome, uh, with the exception of 100% full accreditation, um, but there's not a timeline that is associated with that, or there are specific outcomes that we should expect to see on an annual basis. When I look at your budget for the priority areas, um, the total budget, say, for example, priority number one, you have a total budget of $5.5 million. Is that a 20-year budget, or is that a one-year budget, or is that a five-year budget? And if it's either of those, uh, what is the appropriation of funding that's going to be, if you're fully funded as, as is recommended in this budget, what is the appropriation for each one of those priorities on an annual basis, and what is the measurable outcomes that we should expect for those would be helpful to be able to appreciate. And back to the maintenance piece, um, Previously, we've had appropriation of funds for maintenance and the work doesn't get done because of the cycle of school and what you can do and what you can't do. Um, it is important uh, that we look at a maintenance schedule, and I'd like to have that over that period of time uh, that you're looking at, and especially within the next two years that we are still out as it relates to rezoning, implementation of rezoning. And what schools, uh, the funding for maintenance is going to be spent on and how it aligns with your uh, planning process for rezoning uh, to ensure that we are putting money in buildings that needs money to be spent in. And I understand that there may be emergency situations, and even though later on we may have to close that building or whatever, but if heating and you still got a year, I understand that. But I, I want to make sure that those things are absolutely clear in the process as well. Absolutely. Thank you. Glad to provide all of that. 
Okay, so we have the laundry list is a little longer here, but I think uh, Ms. One Brown has the item. Have you have one another question. Uh, in regards to the costs, where you did the chart comparison for the national, yes, it would be helpful if we did uh, had a chart that did a comparison to the metro urban comparison versus the national, because national incomes and so forth vary tremendously for Virginia and more specifically for our metro urban school system. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Cameras. So in addition uh, to the other items you've agreed to provide, certainly as Councilwoman Robertson has indicated, the greater specificity in terms of the metrics that you'll use, the maintenance schedule I think came up a few times, the salary for comparison metro area. And uh, we thank you and uh, look forward to follow-up discussion uh, and deliberation. Thank you so much. Thank you, President Newbill and members of the council. Uh, we also have hard copies of the full budget, which I will uh, that would, leave with the clerk. Thank you. That is thank great. You. Thank you so much. I think the next uh, presentation, Department of Public Utilities, Mr. Farr. Welcome. Does everybody have copies of the briefing? Just make sure. Yes, we do. Okay. Yes, thank you. All right. Uh, good afternoon, Madam President and members of council. I'm Calvin Farr, Director of uh, Public Utilities. Uh, we support the mayor's uh, budget, uh, especially the focus on investing and in improving our infrastructure to support our neighborhoods and our city. Uh, there's uh, three major drivers for our budget. Uh, first is, uh, of course, um, regulatory compliance. Uh, we have to make sure we provide safe drinking water on a 24-7 basis. Um, also, we have constant pressure in regards to improving water quality when we treat wastewater and make sure wastewater does not hit the James River and other waterways. So that's a continuous uh, driver. Um, here in the city, another driver is the need for system renewal. Uh, we have uh, aging infrastructure. We have uh, water mains in, in the ground that are over 100 years old, uh, well past their, their useful life. Um, previously, years uh, past, there was a lot of focus on the wastewater system and our combined sewer system. A lot of uh, funds dedicated to, to that effort. Uh, when that happens, some other... Uh, Portions of the infrastructure may not get as much attention. So uh, now is the time to really focus on our water system and stormwater. And lastly, another driver is also, of course, financial stability of the, the department. Uh, we have high debt, um, and that was incurred uh, paying for the wastewater uh, improvements in the past. And also we have to make sure we... Uh, fund appropriately in regard to cash to actually pay for uh, projects as we go. So at DPU, uh, we have uh, 772 authorized positions. We have about 150, 151 vacancies, 
That's uh, over 20% vacancy rate. Uh, it's con very concerning to me. Um, having some vacancies due to retirements, uh, some high turnover in certain areas, and also uh, folks leaving uh, based on you know, compensation and things like that. Uh, just a quick effort at DPU. Uh, one priority is workforce development, which includes uh, improving recruitment, uh, also providing more uh, entry-level positions. Right now, a lot of work we do at DPU is very specialized. So you have to have a great deal of experience to do some of this work. So we're trying to uh, provide those, those entry-level positions and then also find ways to uh, retain our employees. Uh, budget, we're looking at a budget of $366 million, um, really to, uh, again, address the, the issues uh, in regards to Asian infrastructure. One item I would like to point out, I know it's a lot up there, uh, is the increase in operation and maintenance uh, expenses. Again, that's indicative of an aging infrastructure where we're maintaining older equipment, older pipelines, older facilities. So it's a 6% increase there. Capital summary, uh, some good news. Uh, like I said, there's a lot of attention on the wastewater system now. It's time to focus on the water and also stormwater. So we've increased capital for water, um, a lot more water distribution pipeline replacements uh, to minimize these uh, water main breaks we're getting on a daily basis. And then also stormwater. Um, right now, we're very reactive. Uh, we clean storm drains, and that's not going to suffice long term. Um, right now, we're seeing uh, extreme rainfall. Last year, we had 62 inches of rainfall as opposed to our average of 42. Uh, the sewers that were constructed back then aren't constructed now where they're big enough to even handle these uh, extreme storms. So uh, we have to increase our capital spending, capital projects, really to minimize flooding, uh, retain the, the, the stormwater where it doesn't flood properties and things of that nature. So we're looking at a capital budget overall of $124 million. So how does that impact the customer uh, in regards to a proposed rate increases? Um, 4% for water, wastewater, stormwater, and 35 for natural gas. Uh, we're looking at a $5.82 increase for typical usage. Again, uh, this is aimed at uh, addressing those, those three drivers that I, I just talked about. I know there was a question about how we compare. Well, counterparts in the, in the counties are actually proposing increases also in water and wastewater. Uh, they have some similar drivers and some different drivers. One is regulatory compliance, just like us. Um, but we have uh, definitely a challenge a little different than theirs, and, and that's the aging infrastructure and uh, the increased maintenance costs. Um, stormwater, really, I can't compare the other regional, I mean, the counties, I'm sorry, because uh, they don't have stormwater utilities. They, I think they handle theirs through general funds. Um, I did uh, a quick check across the, the Commonwealth, and we're actually low in our, in our monthly payment in stormwater. So, um, I didn't have a lot of slides. Just uh, before I take your question, I just want to make sure you know uh, we take this very seriously in regards to financial hardship here in the city. Um, I'm well aware of folks having a hard time paying utility bills. Uh, so as I make decisions to uh, increase rates, it's, a, it's a really a balancing act to address this aging infrastructure. 
uh, address these uh, emergencies we deal with on a daily basis in regards to our pipelines. Um, and this is not only a regional conversation in regards to affordability, but it's also a national conversation that I have with other utility directors across the country. Uh, affordability is definitely on our mind. It's a focus. Um, City of Richmond uh, DPU is uh, one of the, the few, well, one of the leaders in regards to affordability programs. We have a number of programs to help folks with their bills that are facing financial hardship. Uh, we have a program where for heating, we can do equal pay. You can spread your, your, your bill across 12 months. Uh, we actually have a new program to help uh, residents with their plumbing replacements uh, to help with uh, better efficiency in, in regards to water usage. Uh, poor plumbing typically uses uh, more water, so we're able to uh, address those. And then also I'll continue to push uh, state and federal um, resources. Uh, federal government is starting to listen up a little better these days in regards to providing grants and low-interest loans to, to help pay for infrastructure. Of course, it's not enough, but they're still working towards it. Uh, we'll still work towards getting grants and these loans to take uh, a lot of the burden off the ratepayers. But I just wanted to point that out. I do understand the struggle uh, with, with some folks here. So with that being said, I'll, I'll take some of your questions now. Thank you, Mr. Farr. Ms. Larson. Um, thanks for the presentation. So regarding the, the stormwater rate increases, last year, um, and I don't I can't remember. Were you here for budget session last year? Or maybe you no. came on right no, at the... this is my very first okay. budget session. So All right. Well, so congratulations. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> hope you don't have plans for the next eight weeks. Um, <laughs> so we, um, as you know, used to have three different yes. categories. Yes. So now it's five different categories. Yes. What happened in the fourth district, and I'm sure other council folks... Um, saw an impact. I have a lot of residents that have large lots. Um, so there were a large number of people that switched to that category four and five. And by that happening, their stormwater rates doubled. So to do that in one year and then next year change, increase the rate is... That's a lot. And, I mean, you and I talk frequently. I know there are a lot of needs in the city. I'm still struggling with the capital projects, how we're communicating to people, where they are, you know, on the list of priorities. I know that you have issues with staffing and, you know, being overwhelmed by that. And the folks that I work with are great, but... People are not seeing what they're paying for. That's the problem that I'm getting, is they have stormwater issues, and they're saying, I've been in the queue for a decade to get this issue addressed in my, you know, adjacent to my property or in my neighborhood or whatever it is, and I'm still struggling with it, and I'm not you know, blaming you or blaming your employees. I'm just saying there is a lot of work that needs to be done there so that we're communicating better with people. And then to layer an increase on top of that is a 
is a big issue for me. Yeah. So I, just to respond to that, uh, the the increase in tiers really those to deal with uh, an equity issue. Uh, there's folks that were paying uh, the same amount for bigger properties than folks with smaller properties. So that was the reason for the tiers. Um, and with the three tiers, that was not actually paying for the complete cost of just maintenance for stormwater. Um, I do understand the challenge. I do understand uh, the frustration and seeing results. Uh, quite honestly, it's not where I want it in regards to stormwater. So we're, we're extremely reactive. We have uh, a number of work orders in the back or, um, backlog. We're not responding quick because we're short-staffed. And they're not making excuses. This is, this is, this is the picture. And uh, to really solve the stormwater issue is the capital projects. Uh, like I said, it's not going to cut it where we just continue to clean storm drains. Storm drains aren't big enough for these, these type of uh, storms we're getting these days. Um, so I'll continue to push more for capital improvements. Um, it just, honestly, it's like we don't have enough for the overall needs. Now, um, in regards to showing what we do, it's the, those capital projects and being able to staff up more and pick up the maintenance. But those are the challenges right now. Like I said, uh, comparable to other stormwater utilities in the Commonwealth, we're actually one of the lowest in regards to funding. So that's the, that's, that's the picture. So. Thank you, Mr. Farr. Ms. Larson, does that conclude your questions? Okay, other questions? Um, I'm not sure who went first, so I'll go with alphabetical. Ms. Gray. Okay. Um, and I do want to say that the responsiveness of... Um, your folks, when we have issues, we've had a lot of issues, water leaks, et cetera. Um, Mr. Graham especially has been really excellent to work with, so I want to thank you for that. Um, you and I were supposed to get together to discuss some of the issues that have come to me over the past couple of years. Um, but prior to that, I want to know, because I know we always say it's on average 5 or $6 more, and we did this last year in the budget. So the average person, you know, it's a cup of it's a cup of Starbucks. But many of our people can't even afford to go to Starbucks. They can't afford to pay these utility bills as it is. And many of our residents have not been able to afford any efficiencies or upgrades in their homes. So they're very drafty. Um, I know several who have been heating with electric heaters and kerosene because they can't afford to pay their gas bills from last year. So it's, it's a real concern. So just with that, and I know this, most of these issues came forward prior to you getting here, and we have not had the opportunity to talk about these things. But I wanted to point out a couple of things, like the expensive tchotchke, I guess, or whatever you want to call it, items that the department produces. So people are always asking, is, is my water bill paying for this? Is this what I'm paying for? In addition to, I mean, you're a monopoly, so why the need to advertise water? Um, we're paying almost double what our counterparts in the county and probably the highest in the state, if not the region. Oh, don't take my book. Another one for gas works. Maybe you can make the case for why you need to be competitive for gas because there are other ways to heat. But I met with a gentleman 
who owns property in the city. These are his bills that he gets every month. He gets, he's asked for a consolidation of his bills. Several have multiple properties listed. They're all in the same name. Um, he, prior to owning, I guess it's printing is a pretty lucrative thing because prior to purchasing all this real estate, he owned a printing company. And what he told me is the weight of the paper we're using is top notch. We're using full color. There's several, several pages of information that's really not necessary to his bill or others. Um, and he's, many of these bills have a zero balance on them. So we're paying postage, printing. I mean, the weight of this thing is, is really heavy. This is one, one utilities customer in one month. And he would go to an electronic billing if allowed. So what are we doing to cut the cost of this stuff? And do we, is this really necessary? We've got to, we've got to do better. Before we pass all the costs down to these customers who are really struggling, what are we doing to cut back and to make the operation more efficient? Yeah, so the goal, one of the goals this uh, fiscal year um, is to, um, the billing system is not where I want it. Um, so we're working on planning on making some of these enhancements, and that's one of them, um, of course. Uh, so I think we actually can work with the customer if it was denied that we can, I, I can take that information and, and see what we can do to get a consolidated bill. And um, I have several, like, I have several customers who've reached out to me, but... There are probably thousands more who won't. So, I mean, we can address the one-offs, yeah, but so how do we? Mm -hmm. so, the, so the billing system, the plan is to, to be able to put more control into the customer's hands where uh, you don't necessarily have to get all those mailings. You could see it online. Or you can be able to pay your, your bill through, your, through a phone app. Uh, we have to get more advanced in regard to the billing. So I do hear you loud and clear. Um, and I, I don't disagree with that. You know, there's ways we can uh, do a little better there. Um, in regards to marketing, um, the gas works, like you understand the gas works, the well, marketing this is need. That's H2O. Well, really, it's uh, to be transparent in how we're trying to protect the James River. That's RBH2O. That's the first integrated uh, permit in the entire Commonwealth to uh, you know, improve water quality. Um, really to get it out there where the money is going, but also, uh, to me, we need to, this is a way for us to recruit also. I've gotten new talent based off of what they've seen through marketing. Um, you may not agree, but I do understand so the this, cost. this made somebody want to work for us? Well, I mean, there's just a brand out there that uh, kind of shows what we do here in the city. Um, I actually had a couple of college students that approached me about coming to work for the city. And that's based off of me being on Twitter. And so these certain things, like we have a Twitter page for RBH2O, what we're doing for the city, we have the storm drain painting, the, the art contest. It really is public awareness about how we're protecting the James River and, um, and, and our citizens. So, so could some of those funds be actually used to protect the James River? Because I'm, just last week, yeah. pouring torrential rain, I went to 
an invasive species event on a Friday night, which I thought would be three or four people standing around talking about the James River, and there were hundreds of people who turned out. And they, they put in lots of time and energy to protecting the James River. And I think that's our big asset, not the utility, but the river. So what I, I just... Are utility fees being used to purchase these items, or is that a grant outside of that? Uh, there's a portion I have to check on the budget, but it's, it's, not, it's not that much. I, I did check on the Richmond gas budget. I mean, we're, we're talking 600000 and the revenue that we brought in was $161 million from uh, Richmond Gas Works. I mean, to, to get more people to use more gas, uh, there, there is a cost. But so, I'll have to check on... So when we spend 600000 how much do we get back? We got $161 million back in revenues from uh, natural gas. That means, well, a lot of that you would have gotten no, anyway. Did, what Can new you? money did we get from spending that money? I mean, that's, that's the question, the return on your marketing. So I'm, I'm going to ask... That Ms. Gray has several questions, and I really do want to hear back, and I think we all do, in terms of cost-saving measures, in terms of consolidated billing opportunities, uh, and then in terms of marketing and return on investment. And I understand that these you're just hearing these, and so you may not have that at this point. But if you could get that information back to us, Mr. Farr, we would appreciate that. Mr. Steidel, did you have uh, something you wanted to add there? Yes, ma'am. Bob Steidel, DCO of Operations. I just want to remind Council that the information in the bills was as a result of a request from this Council to provide additional information in the bills to add more ability for somebody getting a paper bill to read more about what's behind that. I realize it does make the bills bigger. Plus, we are required to give a bill to everybody who gets a bill. If it's a zero bill, they still have to get a bill when it comes to their billing cycle. Okay, so if you could give us, uh, again, um, to the extent we can look at cost-saving measures, to the extent we can talk about cost uh, consolidated billing, marketing, and any requirements that you are um, obliged to adhere to uh, as well. So we'll know that. Okay. Ms. Gray, if you could uh, round up, and then I'll go to Ms. Trammell. When the statement is made that they're required to get a bill, are they required to get a paper bill? No. I see you shaking your head, but I just want... They could get an electronic bill. That's if they're able to, if they have the capacity to receive electronics. So to the extent we can look at that, uh, see if individuals have that, then that might be a cost-saving measure. Yeah, I mean, that, I, I haven't heard, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I haven't actually heard staff say we can't, we say no to completely say no. Now, if a customer's saying something different, I need, that's why I need to know what the situation is. Um, we are able to customize the way we present bills and things of that nature on how often you pay the bill. Uh, we're able to do that, so I'm not, uh, not going to say, say that you need but ten bills per going <laughs> paperless yeah, helps so. the river too, and um, <laughs> and not only going paperless. I mean, this is not new to business. You're an enterprise, so the paperless stuff is. We're in the second decade of that, so I'm, I'm just. So we're asking, Mr. Farr, 
um, to take a look at that, Ms. Gray. I mean, that's thank you. Yes, thank you. And, and to report back. Um, and thanks for the progress are. you are making. Okay. Ms. Trammell, did you have a thank last you. question we need to run? Calvin, I, keep, I, I want to thank you for always calling me back. You and Bob Sidell, thank you both. Um, over there at 5005 Old Melothian Turnpike, the trailer park. Ms. Trammell, I, wait, might I, just I ask just, one question? And we, could, we can go to any specific item, but if there's a budget item, if we could finish that and then we can go to I think this is a budget item. I don't think it's been fixed because it's a budget item. It's going to cost so much, but it's okay. public safety because those little children leave the mobile town trailer park to catch the bus, and I got pictures from at least six, eight months ago where it's even worse, and I know that I've you know, spoken to Bobby about it, but it's kind of like public works and public utilities. And I think I sent you the pictures where the storm water, the thing was overflowing, and those cars come by, and one of the children almost got hit about two weeks ago because the water was like that, and the car just splashes them. But Mr. Anyway, Farr, do you, you have an update for Ms. Trammell relative to that item, given oh, that she... I'm sorry, not, not at the moment. I can... I okay, can, I, so can we make sure we... I don't see Mr. Vincent in audience, but to the extent we can get an update back to her today, that would be great. And and then, okay. thank you. And then one more thing, too. Calvin, a lot of the people are upset about the stormwater, about the increase that is going up. And when Kim just held those up, they some do not fully understand where where is it going, you know, what is exactly is it. And a lot of the business people are asking me, why can't they pay it once a year or twice a year when they pay their, um, their real estate taxes or whatever, why does this have to be included in there? Because it just, it makes it just look, I mean, I think if we took that off, maybe that could help. And I know that um, that Valerie Wedless, she helps our seniors, you know, with the tax relief, and they can get a reduction on that too, or like on their utilities. But I think that if we could just let them pay like once a year or twice a year, that would stop a lot of the confusion too on mm -hmm. the, on the stormwater because yes, we know that Chesterfield and Henrico doesn't play doesn't pay that, and everybody's asking why did we have to why did this come on us, Mr. Farr? If you could get a response back as to whether or not that would be an option for the annual, as Ms. Trammell is asking clarification. Uh, and maybe some rework of literature that could go out clarifying uh, the uh, stormwater utility and why, and then rental assistance, I think she mentioned as the last item. And, and, you can get that to us all. And just yeah. one more thing, Ms. President. If if we could, because um, a lot of people saying that they're calling the 311, turning in these stormwater drains over there by Hickory Hill and areas like that, they got trees growing out of them now. Nobody is coming by to clean them out. And I think if we could get a list of what areas that we're working in, maybe we could get people, because I know it's hard for, like, say, Southside to, to find, I mean, you all know, but if we could just let you all know the, the ones that are really, really bad, we could get them taken care of so that the drainage would stop, like on Bells Road, Terminal, and, and Chapel Drive, in those areas. Okay. Ms. Trammell, um, were those items uh, called in as well? already. And so, Mr. Farr, if possible, I want you to talk with Mr. Vincent if we could also get an update back for Ms. Trammell on the status of those as well. Okay. That would be helpful. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And uh, certainly, as you are able to provide any additional information, that would be helpful relative to the uh, questions that okay. were raised. Absolutely. Okay. 
Thank, Thank you. you. Council member, Ms. Robertson, did you have a question? Ms. Farr, Mr. Farr, I'm sorry. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, Thank you for the presentation. Uh, I'm interested in knowing, I know with the combined sewer uh, and as it relates to the stormwater management and the capacity of the combined sewer system, uh, capacity to be able to manage uh, the water, the runoffs, and so forth, and whether or not there is need for additional infrastructure in the existing combined sewer parts of the city. Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, we, we're actually modeling that. Uh, so there's two separate systems, the combined sewer, sanitary, and storm, and it's already constructed. Uh, there's projects we've done to separate the two, um, I don't get a sense that we need more capacity in the actual CSO system. Uh, in the storm system, I would agree we would have to take a, a careful look at uh, the various parts of the storm system to see if we need uh, bigger size um, pipes and things of that nature because, like I said uh, previously, we were getting a lot more intense rainfall than we did years ago. Um, so I, I, would, I would say no to the, the need for additional capacity in the CSO system. Okay, but we're having, uh, as been mentioned, significant flooding uh, with the system. And, and so I'm not sure whether or not there's a, a challenge as it relates to DPW and your operation as it relates to the uh, clearing out the uh, combined sewer systems as to whether or not that's contributing to the problem. And I don't know if there is some communication that you all are working together on that you recognize that that's an issue and yes absolutely so uh, there are areas of the city where we don't necessarily have a storm system to support the rainfall so there is no curb and gutter but as we do these street improvements with um, DPW there is a partnership there to add you know storm systems where we need them and to be able to convey that storm water to the storm water system so okay one additional question um, I noticed that you said about capacity uh, do you have a five-year infrastructure plan, uh, and do you have a cost associated with that, which yes. also would give us some indication as to whether or not we should expect an annual increase in fees or something of that nature? Yes, yeah, so we have a five-year plan right now. Um, we're looking at, uh, over those five years, $583 million, um, in, in regards to the capital needs. Um, we're going to ask. We're going to start an asset management uh, program to actually get down and really into the weeds on what projects we need to prioritize and be able to spend the money appropriately and attack these areas where they're prone to these issues that we're seeing. Um, now the rate increases have been modest, you know, and it's recommended to continue uh, with modest increases. Um, we want to eliminate the, the possibility of uh, rate shock. But there is a great uh, number of needs that need to be to be, to be implemented um, over over a period of time. Again, like I said, there's, uh, there's pipes in the ground over 100 years old, and we there's so many older pipes that we can't replace it in one year. Um, so, uh, to answer your question, there is a five-year plan, and there is a thought about increasing rates gradually over time. 
Because we have to go after the water and stormwater system. Mm -hmm. And so I would assume that our staff have that five-year plan and the projection of the increase in rates and the schedule of priorities in that five-year plan. If they don't, we would like to have that as well. Thank you. Yes, I was going to go there. I check we don't have it yet. But, Mr. Farr, if you could provide that, we would appreciate it. Thank you so Okay. Last question. Just to follow up on the question about the stormwater, the CSO, the combined sewer, there are requirements with respect to the Chesapeake Bay um, and the waterways and tributaries that feed into it. I'm not seeing, and I, I have several documented instances of flooding and um, where their street cleaning isn't happening, their leaves piling into the storm drains. So how are we meeting the requirements of keeping those CSO areas cleaned out so that the river and the bay aren't impacted? So the uh, street cleaning, um, I'm about to defer to my partner, um, Mr. Vincent. He can probably give a status on where we are on that. So we partner on that, that aspect. Um, I can't answer that question right now. So, okay. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. Again, thank you, Mr. Farr. And if you will provide the uh, requested information, uh, we'd appreciate that. Okay. Thank you so much. Uh, council members, we will recess uh, for a break and we'll reconvene at 1 for our next work session. Thank you.
Thank you for your indulgence. We are back up and running. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Uh, this afternoon, uh, we have four presentations, uh, the Department of Economic Development, the Department of Housing and Community Development, Department of Planning and Development Review, uh, followed by the Department of Parks, Recreation, and Community Facilities. And so if we could, in that order, uh, receive the presentations and then as council members may have questions, uh, we'll come to you. And if there are questions that you're needing to get information back to us on, if you just alert us and our staff will, and you can be in contact with our staff to get that information. So, Mr. Dunlap, are you the first up? Yes, ma'am. Welcome. Thank you much. Thank you much. Um, good, e good afternoon to the members of, um, or good, yes, good afternoon to the members of city council. Um, again, my name is Douglas Dunlap, and I am the interim DCAO of the Economic and Community and Planning Portfolio. Um, it's indeed my pleasure to stand before you this afternoon and present the FY 2020 budget for the department. Um, our director is with us, um, but suffering from a little laryngitis at the point, so I will be um, providing the presentation today. So it's my goal to provide just a brief overview of the department's budget changes and then respond to any additional questions that the members of council may have. And this has been an incredible year for the Department of, department of Economic Development as we continue to achieve wins um, in business growth and development while also navigating the transition that has um, occurred and began at the beginning of the fiscal year. Um, as the de former Department of Economic and Community Development um, separated into the Departments of Housing and Community Development, which we'll present next, and the Department of Economic Development. Um, this, during this period of transition, administration continues to make um, the necessary adjustments um, between the departments to align common functions to improve efficiencies across the organization. Uh, for DED, our theme um, to a degree is less is more. Um, the adjustments that are being proposed for this year will allow us to continue um, to focus and hone in on those critical primary functions that are associated with business attraction, expansion, um, and also retention. 
We also seek to transition those critical functions that are related to facility management and programming for our venues um, to those departments for which these tasks are primary responsibilities, which um, those departments being the Department of Public Works and also uh, Parks and Recreation. So I'll briefly address specific um, funding adjustments for the Department of Economic Development development related to the transfer of those responsibilities and would then open the floor for any questions. So before you, you have our um, proposed budget and as you can see there are four primary um, adjustments to that budget. The first of which under administrative finance um, is tied directly to Main Street Station. Um, that um, project has remained in our department uh, during the life of the construction but as we have completed construction on the building, um, it is now more a sense of um, how it is maintained and also um, the programming that is associated with it as we host events. Those are um, essentially not primary functions of the Department of Economic Development, and therefore we are transitioning those responsibilities and functions. I'm sorry? Okay, I'm sorry. Sorry about that. So we are transferring those, those, um, that, that funding to the Department of Public Works specifically um, so that they can take on, again, those tasks associated with the building's management, its operations, and also programming around the event space. Um, the second item under business development is tied to um, the Coliseum in the past, uh, the Department of Economic Development was responsible for managing the contract um, for the Coliseum. Um, as you all know, the Coliseum is being closed. We are working now uh, to uh, remove the items from the building. And so, therefore, um, it's just a matter of building maintenance at this point. The contract for um, operations and maintenance will end, and the Department of Public Works will then take on full responsibility for maintaining the building as we mothball it and prepare for whatever the next stage will be. Um, I'll jump down to um, the final item at the bottom, which is 17th Street Farmers Market. Um, at one um, point, we had the staffing within the department. That staff person has transitioned to the Department of Public Works, who was primarily responsible for the improvements to the farmer's market. We also had a staff person uh, who was responsible for the uh, managing the um, contract uh, for the programming and maintenance of that space. That function is going to be transferred to the Department of Parks and Recreation. So, again, all of these adjustments to... Um, our department um, are really being done so that we can push those responsibilities to those departments that truly focus in those areas. As we know, the Department of Public Works, of Public Works manages all of city facilities, um, or many of the city's facility, facilities, um, and Parks and Recreation, of course, we know it was better fit for them as well um, to take over those programming responsibilities associated with the farmer's market. Um, in the event planning there. Um, we have one final item that is listed under the DCAO of Economic Development. That item um, is an increase that's associated around planning um, and also a position tied directly to the oversight and management of our planning process for the Shaco bottom. 
those are the four key areas where we have um, amended or adjusted our budget. Um, I'll stop now and just kind of open the floor and entertain any questions that council members may have about the budget. Council members, are there questions? Uh, Councilwoman Robertson. Thank you. The position that you said for Shaco Bottom. Yes, ma'am. Could you help me appreciate what that, why there's a need for a staff person just for Shaco Bottom? Um, from from administration, administration's perspective, it really ties back to the importance that we place around the planning process. Uh, around for the, what project? The planning process for the Heritage Center, um, the um, Slave Trail, and um, also tying that back to the reconciliation and the burial ground. There will be additional improvements that are made, and so we thought that it was critical that we have a dedicated um, staff person who could provide oversight. In the past, um, a lot of those responsibilities were actually handled by a staff person who um, had a project management background. So we wanted to really look at um, how we could bring someone in that has a planning background that would also assist and support us in public engagement uh, to make sure that we had a point person to make sure that the city gets it right. So could I just, sure. Ms. Robertson, I'll come because I think that we need to clarify, when you say it is the Shaco Bottom study area that was part of the Rose Fellowship, it, it's not simply Shaco Bottom. It is that broader area, is it yes, not? Yes, that's correct. Okay. Yes. Okay. I'm sorry, Ms. Robertson. I just want to, wanted to clarify that. I'm not sure that they clarified. If it cl okay. So for about a year... There, the city was one of four uh, municipalities around the country, and I'm Mr. Steidel, I see Jane Farrar here, mm -hmm. who participated as one of the Rose Fellows Urban Land Institute, that bigger Shaco areas, Shaco Bottom study area, which was more exhaustive than Lumpkin's Devil's Head. I mean, it right. was. That's correct. And maybe at some point, because I don't know that the final presentation ever came back to council. Uh, to really, and maybe that would be a, a good update because it is broader than um, simply shock. It is that entire study area. Sure. There were a set of recommendations that came out of that, including uh, some staff uh, capacity project management. So if, yeah. Yeah, I do think that we need a presentation on what, what, what is being defined and right. what was the outcome and of that. And we can do that. Um, yeah. We can do that. Uh, and it doesn't have to be a part. The chair can make that decision as to when and where that presentation will be made to council. Um, some other questions I have in relationship. Um, the I thought we said something like a little shy of uh, half a million dollars for the maintenance uh, of the Coliseum, even though it's not in operation. And is that correct? Am yes. I correct on that? That's correct. Okay. And those dollars will be spent to do what to the Coliseum? Well, we will still maintain utilities inside the building. Utilities? Yes. 
Um, there will be some other operations that we will continue to maintain until such time that a decision is made um, on a potential or possible demolition of the structure. Do we have a budget on what it would cost to demolish the No, we do not. Okay, so this 400 is not for staffing. Um, no, it is not for staffing. Okay. Council members, um, and I, if everyone would draw the mics, I know we're having some technological problems here today, but if everybody would draw the mics closer so staff can um, hear and speakers as well. Thank you. Selena Cafiglan, CAO for the city. Some of the costs that will be included as are late to the regular maintenance includes you still have to secure and maintain your suppression systems. Uh, when you're mothballing the building, there's still liabilities that the city will still have to bear. And so we think that amount of dollars, and I forget the number completely, and Jay Brown can help me, is to cover those costs as it relates to the liability of such a huge structure. And now it will be housed in the Department of Public Works to ensure, as they do all of our facilities, but they will be responsible for that maintenance responsibility. And so there may be a series of things that they will have as part of their work program. Uh, it could be the opportunity for us to also work with third parties. It all depends on what happens once we've finished liquidating what's inside, and then those other utilities and suppression costs will be something that we're, we're going to be responsible for until a decision is made um, regarding disposition or some other use of that facility. Ms. Robertson? Um, it would be good to get some kind of information as I mean, I think it's you know for less shy of a half a million dollars. I appreciate for the size of the building and just uh, taking care of those initial things that are necessary. Um, the general feeling is that we will never use this building again as a full service building. And so the costs for maintaining it without purpose is the issue I think I'm trying to raise. And sure. so, um, you know, half a million dollars is not a lot of money to maintain a building of that size. It is a lot of money without a future plan of what we're doing with the sure. building itself. And we can get, and it's not necessarily the facility itself, but the grounds associated with the facility. But we can certainly be able to show you what is contemplated as relates to the estimated, estimated cost that's proposed in the budget today. Okay. And yes, if we can do a estimated cost for demolition, if nothing else, by square footage, that would give us some sense. We, we can break it down. About. We can break it down for you, right. ma'am. That would be helpful. Yes, ma'am. All right. Um, Thank you. Oh, the other question yeah. that I have, Madam Chair, if I may, um, we we frequently switched um, service delivery from one department to the next. Uh, in my tenure on council, I've seen us go from who cuts grass, moving from one department to the other for several years. Uh, whether it's uh, grass in the medium or grass on the parklands. And so we we'll seem to be moving some of those main, main uh, services to other departments. And so I guess the question I'm asking is what is the efficiencies and, and costs 
that's associated with that, and also what are we expecting the greater uh, performance to be by making these changes and moving things to other departments and whether or not there is an association of um, the cost that is associated with that. Does that also include uh, adequate staff for those departments that are being reassigned to be able to carry out those duties? I think um, the easiest way to respond to the question as it relates to staffing is that within the Department of Economic Development, except for the individuals who were tied directly to the project management during construction, the staff, the rest of the staff, did not have a background in um, management of facilities. And so for us, at this point, once construction was complete and it was not done when the department was split, um, we took this opportunity to go back now and again to realign those um, key functions and tie them back and move them, transition them back to the departments where um, they have a little more girth as it relates to staffing that are already um, responsible for similar maintenance and management and operations um, over the city's other uh, facilities. So that is, I'm sorry. Okay, good. Um, I just think that we need to monitor that closely to make sure that there isn't any gap in the delivery of services process. One last question, and that is as it relates to the economic development. Um, I think that it's important that the work that is done out of the economic development department really yields uh, opportunities for economic growth in the city which also should have a projected uh, revenue increase based on new revenue um, generated businesses that we would want to see happen out of the economic development department. And whether or not that is associated with jobs or retainage of jobs and I remember last year we talked some about an economic incentive fund, Mm -hmm. which I don't think was funded at the level that we need for it to be funded. Are those things taken? Is there a goal on the economic development department as it relates to um, increased economic development that would yield a certain level of jobs and generate income revenue for the city? and whether or not there is a goal as relates to uh, retention of existing businesses and the retention of revenue as it relates to that. Okay, probably not so much um, the revenue that is associated with um, the retention or the expansion, but certainly I think on a case-by-case basis, there are goals that are set for each project that we incentivize. Um, as it relates to the number of jobs that we feel um, should be generated, um, again, based on the amount of the incentives that are provided on the project. Um, We are also, of course, um, very interested and also push for um, identifying and making sure that we hold those businesses accountable for their investment um, as well. So um, if you're looking for... I'm looking for for economic development department becoming a source of anticipated economic growth for the city and and have a 
a yield of at least a goal, a yield of revenue that we're trying to generate. Uh, and so when we start talking about things like <clears throat> different types of revenue sources, mm-hmm. um, more dependency on economic growth as a, as a source of revenue projection. Sure, sure. And if, if that is incorporated in your plan, I'd like to be able to have a better appreciation for what we expect or what we would like to see economic growth be in the city of Richmond. And okay, thank understood. You. Thank you. Ms. Gray, did you uh, have a question? Uh, yeah, and I'm, I feel like I missed something because I know there was this Coliseum plan that everybody keeps talking about, but who made the decision to close the Coliseum and stop taking any revenue-generating bookings, and why was that decision made? Okay, so can we just... I want to hold that, Ms. Gray, but let me... Are there any other specific to this uh, budget document? I mean, it is specific to the spending we're doing to maintain an empty building, and that isn't of any community benefit. Um... I no, do. and I have that. I'm, I'm just wanting to make sure we get all the questions I have a, about I have budget. Other no, no, questions? I'm going to come back. I'm not leaving. Okay. It. Yeah. So, um, any other budget items? All right. If you could, uh, relative to Ms. Gray's inquiry. Thank you, Ms. Cuffey. Thank you, uh, CAO Selena Cuffey Glennon. And I'll speak really to the overall conversation we had with City Council last year as it relates to the loss and. Uh, revenues as it relates to what we were putting into the Coliseum versus what we were losing. And we presented documents to the city council that shows that it was operating at a loss, even though we were putting in dollars to cover the deficit. So that's one reason why we made a decision uh, as it relates to closing the Coliseum. And, of course, you're absolutely correct as it relates to some of the admissions tax that we were receiving, but we were still operating at a loss. So that was a discussion we had last year as part of what we were planning to do as it relates to looking to close the Coliseum. So we did okay. depart from what we talked about. Um, it's unfortunate if you're not remembering some of that conversation, but we made that part of our conversation during the last budget cycle. So we've not depart from the plan uh, as it relates to the Coliseum. Whether nothing happens with North Abroad, we were still operating at a, law, at a loss as it relates to this current facility itself. And that was always in the documents that you received as a council, the financial reports you received at the end of the year. So nothing changed as it relates to that uh, work plan. Okay. Ms. Gray? So as far back as I can find, we've operated the Coliseum at a loss. So who, at what point was the decision made to cut those losses? And when should we expect to see, because I know when I put forward a resolution to look at this Coliseum deal that was being talked about, still haven't seen it, um, I was told that I was going to kill the deal off if we didn't get it done. I think some of my colleagues were pushing to get this um, thing down to a 30-day review, and we're, here we are a couple of months later. We still don't have a, any kind of proposal or presentation on it. Is that expected to come forward? And, again, who decided that graduations weren't going to happen or all of these events were to be canceled? So there are two questions here, Ms. Coffey-Glenn, one that goes back to the closure of the Coliseum 
and yeah. then one, I, if I heard correctly, relative to Navy Hill. Once so again, if we I'm can like separate a, those two, yeah. and then I'm going to. Uh, Once again, uh, the conversation about closing was a conversation last year, and we've continued that pathway as it relates to the business decisions we've made regarding the losses. Re- regarding Norfolk Broad Project, I think that's what's being referenced. We never told anyone as it relates to a certain date that you would be receiving the plan. We are still in the process of negotiating the proposal, and until it's ready for us to present to the city council, uh, we can't give you a date at this certain uh, time. Uh, we are still trying to finalize the negotiations. We're working closely with the city attorney's uh, office and others that are providing consultant services to us as a staff. Uh, so I can't speak to what you were told. I just know what I've been able to articulate to the council when I'm at this dais is that we will bring it when we think the city's interest is protected, and not until then. Thank you. So I just want to um, state for the record that I don't recall anybody coming to this before this body or to me personally to say we're going to close the Coliseum or we're going to stop booking events. I don't recall all that conversation at any point in time during our budget deliberations last year or to date. So that is not something that, now, were we operating at a loss? Absolutely. And I do recall that we were close to paying off the debt. Okay. We've so got about $2 million. So what, Before just, you go from that one, though, if you would, that same documentation that was shared, if we could just uh, reroute that again, if uh, Ms. Brown has that, I so mean, the staff are, can have it, uh, just as a reminder. These meetings, okay. these sessions are recorded. So if I'm uh-huh. wrong, please, yeah. please tell me. Um, so... With that, I do have questions about the farmer's market because I don't see any farmers out there. The one that I still see coming, um, and our family's been coming down there for 70-plus years, said she's got nowhere to put her things, that she was told she was going to be moved a block away, but the person who owned the property in front of the location didn't want her there. And so is it is the idea of the farmer's market that it no longer accommodate farmers because there were places for them to leave their produce, come back, and she's having to pack her stuff up every day. And I don't, Would you provide an update, Mr. Dunlap, please? I don't understand the plan. Why call it a farmer's market if it's not going to be? Well, we, we make reference to it as the farmer's market, but essentially the functions there um, are transitioning. They're, we're adjusting those. Um, historically, that is how it was. It functioned. Um, we, because of the relationship that we have with the legacy vendors, and our intent to continue to support and provide an opportunity for them to operate there, we are um, working very closely with them and their representatives um, to place them in a location. Um, that is close to Main Street, and that is per their request. Um, They asked us specifically to be relocated back to that area because, in their opinion, it gave them better visibility. Um, But as we continue um, to operate this space, um, we will see a variety of different uses. And, again, this is one of the reasons why we are um, transitioning this space um, from the Department of Economic Development to the Department of Parks and Recreation. 
um, because they will be programming that space. Uh, we will, um, because of our relationship with the business community that surrounds it, um, work closely with them um, and, and assist them as they're engaging the businesses. But as um, we talk about how that space will be used um, in the next three months, it will um, look even more different than it does right now as we will see the businesses along that um, plaza begin to create their outdoor spaces. So um, if your question is, will we ever go back to a point where um, we have, um, you know, 20 um, vegetable vendors there on a daily basis or that, that, that is probably, that's not going to happen. So I, I would say we, we, we call it the market, that's what it is, but the vendors that you will see will um, have products, a variety of products, and not just food products. Mr. Dunlap, I do want to add, however, there is a commitment. So while we will not see 20, we will see legacy vendors The legacy there. vendors will be there. Okay. They will have an opportunity to continue to vend. Yeah, okay. So if they aren't that. able to do that for months at a time, I mean, just basic, and I'm not an MBA, but if that's my breadwinner, if that's how I've been paying the bills on my farm, how on earth would they be able to survive not operating for that length of time and then out of legacy come back and have a business? I, that's not a question that I can answer. But for clarity, they will be positioned, yes. as we're reviewing right now at, on the Main Street side, they will be right. there ongoing. This is yes, not exactly. a temporary uh, locating for them. I will share this very sad commentary from one of the legacy vendors. Her family's been there for 70 years. No, I know. I've been trying to stay on top of and it. She's with- not able to keep afloat. Okay, I'm, I'm just saying where we are now is trying to find what that structure is that will be placed on the main street side where they were, all three of them, the two uh, young two ladies, sisters, yes. the two sisters, as well as the gentleman who's further up. And Mr. Dunlap is, has identified um, what those structures will look like. Correct. We'll be meeting with their attorneys. I don't know if you've well, done that we since we just, talked. just met with their attorneys. Okay, on Thursday so that we week. can get them situated back yes. on ma- ongoing, not as a temporary so, fix. So attorneys are involved so, in I that. I hear you. And so what I want to do is um, have us um, be updated, as you've been doing. Sure. I'm, I'm aware of it, but really exactly. to have the body updated where we are with the legacy vendors, and there are three of them total, the sisters and the gentleman who's up the street, um, and to, you know, bring that back as an update. So with that, I um, want to stay focused. We have several budget items. Uh, Ms. Trammell, did you have a budget item here? No. No, it was just a comment that um, okay. people were asking me to. A lot of people were asking me how come city council didn't know that the Coliseum was going to be closed. And also I'm hearing that um, the public safety building could be next. And I don't understand how these things get, how they're happening, and council doesn't know. And then when we're being asked by different people, we don't have an answer. Okay. So uh, public safety is we. I think have a presentation somewhere in here, so uh, not today. Hmm? 
Yes, so we will make sure that that one is uh, part of, that there's a response to that, as well as the questions that have been raised already. But, Madam President. Yes. What is is the question? The rumors out that, um, the rumor was out that the Coliseum was going to be closed, but I guess we really didn't pay attention until after it happened. Now the rumors out that the public safety buildings could be closed, and I would hope that you all would come to us before that happened. I can't speak to rumors. I'm sorry. Okay, so what I'm sorry, but that was a rumor. Madam President. Yes. Madam President, that was a rumor too, and guess what? It's done happened. Okay, so what I will ask is that we get an update as we've asked for relative to the Coliseum, and if there is any update when we get to DP relative to the building were asked very specifically if there are any plans, if we can be updated at that time as well. And I'm looking, I'm sorry, Ms. Coffey Glenn, so that we can get responses. With that. So, aside from rumors, can we ask the question, are there plans to close any more facilities? <coughs> okay, and can so. Can we get a I, specific list of any buildings that are, um, have intention Okay. That the administration has intention of closing. And I will ask the administration to report back uh, to us in that regard, any buildings that uh, are slated simulally. Thank you, Mr. Dunlap. Uh, As uh, uh, indicated, please keep us posted relative to the legacy vendors and uh, progress uh, moving forward, as well as the other questions that were put forth with that housing and community development. Ms. Laws. Good afternoon. Okay, closer to the mic. Good afternoon, Madam Chair, members of council. I'm Denise Laws, Interim Director of Housing and Community Development. Our budget is pretty much level. Um, There are just a few minor changes that we're transferring the Enterprise Zone Program to economic development. We now reflect our portion of the rent for the space we share. And it also reflects the 3% proposed increase for personnel. I'm open to any questions you may have. Okay. Council members, questions relative to housing and community development? Seeing, oh, Ms. Robertson, I'm sorry. So, thank you, Ms. Lawson, for the report. the increase in funding for the Affordable Housing Trust Fund, would that be in your portfolio? It's reflect, it, it will be, but it's reflected in non-departmental right now. Okay. And so will that funding be moved to the special account? Because what happened previously when the funding showed up in the non-departmental, that became an issue. So I'm hoping it's going to the special fund. Jay Brown, Director of Budget and Strategic Planning. Yes. Special fund. Yes, it will be transferred to the special fund. Thank you. All right. And is the staffing previously for the administration of the Affordable Housing Trust Fund has been uh, not at the level that I think is necessary for it to be? Um, And so I guess my question is whether or not there is plans to look at the overall operation of the fund as we look at ways to increase the revenue there and opportunities to leverage those funds for more affordable housing development? Yes, I believe the two people that are working on Affordable Housing Trust Fund now have met with you and the board, and we're talking about how to revamp it, how to make it more cost-effective and sustainable. And the two people working on it now have brought this fund up to date. 
And so we can, we can expect that the level of funding, fund, uh, staffing will be maintained pretty much at the same level or? Pretty much, yes. Okay, okay. Thank you. Thank you. Other questions? Ms. Gray. So around the, um, and I, this may have been addressed in the Finance Committee, which I no longer am a part of, but um, the $3 million capital monies that had to be undone because it was going towards a private development, and then there was an $8 million allocation that went over to RRHA. Can can you tell me a little bit more about the three million and how we can assure that the eight million was spent properly when it was okay, well, we not spent in our capital budget? The eight million was to do infrastructure improvement for the public right away, and that will be deeded back to the city. So, do we have an itemization of what was done yes. from RRHA? Yes. Okay. okay, so I'd we like, can make that available. Um, yeah, I, I okay. would like that. And then the three million, how did how did that all happen and what what are we doing to close that gap? Lenore Reed, DCAO Finance and Administration. Uh, the three million dollars was uh, appropriately expense uh, during the time in which uh, that expenditure incurred. It was a capital uh, expenditure. Um, more than likely, I wasn't here at the time, but more than likely when that demolition occurred, someone asked the question, can we use capital dollars for this expenditure? And the answer to that question would have been yes, absolutely yes. And most of the time when you demolish a building and you're going to replace uh, something on that site, that demolition is part of that capital project. Uh, subsequent to that expenditure, the property was transferred to Richmond Redevelopment and Housing. At the time of the transfer, then you no longer have an asset in which you're going to build on that site to move that cost to. So the city appropriately moved that from a capital project expenditure to an operating expenditure. So it had to come out of the operating budget, but there was funding that was bonded and spent out of the capital budget. It had to be corrected. That is correct. So if we knew that we were deeding it and that it was no longer going to be an asset on our capital assets booking, shouldn't that have been, and I know it was prior to your arrival, shouldn't that have been noted and understood that once that transfer took place, capital expenditures couldn't be counted and bonded? That could have been identified at that time. However, it was through discussion and review uh, when I realized that the city no longer owned the asset, um, the land in that case. And so I made the recommendation that it be removed from a capital project and be uh, properly expended as an operating expense. Uh, and then we realized there are other portions um, that was included as well, but those, uh, it was for infrastructure and uh, 
those items or those assets will be reverted back to the city, so the city will have an asset for the other expenditures. And with regard to studies and grants, that's for the entire area, so would, would that not be applicable? I know there were grants that were at one point in the capital budget. Okay, that so I, I am unaware of, so I would have okay. to do that research and get back with you. Okay. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, seeing no other questions at this point, Ms. Laws, thank you for your presentation. You're welcome. We will move on to planning and development. I'm not sure who will be point. Okay, I'm sorry. Mr. Olinger. Good Welcome. afternoon, Council, Madam President. Mark Olinger, Director of Planning and Development Review. And my name is Shannon Paul with the City of Richmond Department of Budget and Strategic Planning. Good afternoon, Madam President, members of Council. Before Mr. Olinger gets started with his performance-based budgeting presentation for the department, I'd like to briefly just um, provide a quick overview of performance-based budgeting. Um, many of you will have heard this already because we discussed it at the Governmental Operations um, Committee meeting on September 27th of 2018 in um, direct response to a resolution introduced by Councilwoman Robertson and that has since been adopted by Council um, asking the department the Department of Budget and Strategic Planning, and in fact, the whole administration to engage in a process of performance-based budgeting. And we have been working towards this on the administration side for quite some years, and we're very happy to present this conversation. So when we talk about performance-based budgeting, we're simply talking about budgeting that links the funds allocated to measurable results. We don't want to talk anymore about how much money will I get we, we, we specifically, we want to talk about service delivery. What can I achieve with this level of funding? How can we impact citizens' lives with this level of funding? What outcomes will move the dial of progress and success in the city of Richmond with this level of funding? And that's what you're going to be hearing about um, when you um, hear from the seven PBB agencies, two of which you'll hear from today. And so in my closing, I just want to say that we are going to move away from the old way, hopefully, of looking at the starting point of last year's spending to looking at what our goals, what our priorities are. Um, what, instead of talking about what to cut, we want to refocus on what can we keep and how we impact service delivery. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Madam President. So uh, our presentation is a little different uh, as part of the, the uh, seven departments who are um, in the pro, uh, PBB uh, wing this year. So just a quick update on uh, background on the department's mission. Our goal is to plan for and protect Richmond's unique physical, social, and natural environment in order to enhance the quality of life for our citizens, businesses, 
and visitors. We have a number of objectives there. Fundamentally, we do what I think are three or four major things. Number one, um, we are heavily involved in the update to Richmond 300, the first comprehensive update to the citywide master plan since 2001. That is taking a significant amount of staff resources to do that, not only in our department, but in other departments. We also are the, the primary permitting agency in the city, both on the building side and zoning. Um, we also work to manage and support uh, revitalization in our neighborhoods uh, and safety in our neighborhoods through the uh, property maintenance code regulations that handle through property maintenance code enforcement. Um, we are the long-range planning agency for the city, and we provide a number of information to other agencies as well. Um, we think we strike um, many of the core uh, priority areas, both at the mayoral level and at the council level. So while we don't have a significant budget like a lot of other agencies on the project side, we certainly help set the table for what we do look at in the long run for the city. And as you talked about earlier regarding the Department of Economic Development, where that activity occurs and how that activity occurs is certainly something that will be front and center as we complete Richmond 300. So what you're going to see in front of us, in front of you today, is a lot of numbers on service delivery. What I would like to really do is just highlight those that I think are the most important as it relates to uh, what I call our core service areas. So item one that you will see on land use administration. So we have five units, land use being one of them. That's our current planning division fundamentally. I would like to highlight those that we will be looking at not only as um, uh, tracking as it relates to our programmatic uh, deliverables to you, but just a couple other ones. Uh, board and commission support is one of those things that we'll, you'll see throughout here. We spend a lot of time and effort staffing boards and commissions, and people sometimes don't understand how much time and effort that takes. It's fundamentally, depending upon the board or commission, one or two full-time staffers to handle that. So every time a board and commission shows up, we spend more time doing board and commission support. Um, plan of developments reviewed by all agencies. This is one of our core services up in land use. How do projects come in? How do they get through the process so people can submit um, their applications for building those projects in a timely manner? Um, we do have work to do in this, and one of the things that we are looking at is working with the other partner agencies, certainly DPW and DPU, to look at how we streamline the process to make it possible that when a POD comes in, it gets out the door. Again, a plan of development gets out the door much quicker. I think over the years, what's happened is it often happens with many times. There's a little bit, we keep asking for a little bit more information, which means it takes a little bit longer to get the reviews done. We're looking to streamline that and kind of get back to what the hist historic elements are which are what are the real things we need to think about to get an approval and then handle the more detailed stuff when applications actually come in for permits. Same thing with city council on the actions for um, uh, rezonings and special use permits, get them through the process and into council within five months, 75% of those. In permits and inspection, our core service is getting permits reviewed and out the door in a timely manner. So our goal has been 
to improve the uh, issuance of the um, residential building permits, one and two family, uh, commercial permits, all commercial permits, that's three units and above on the residential side, and all commercial activities, corner stores to 20-story commercial buildings. We understand that we need to have work, uh, we have work to do on that. These goals that we're establishing today uh, in this presentation will help us track that over the coming year. And uh, we've done a very good job on meeting our requirements for inspections, and we hope to continue. On, um, and then lastly, I wanna, one of the goals we're looking at is customer service. As many of you might know, if you walk through uh, the first floor now, we are making improvements to room 110, I think, to make it a more conducive environment for people to visit us, uh, to deal with their permit issues, and long-term is to create more opportunities for people to submit those proposals online through CSS. Uh, administration, we're looking at customer service. We are the part of the department. That's my kind of office that handles and supports the other agencies. We're certainly wanting to make sure we uh, get good support from, neighborhood, from our customers on the job we're doing, and we are working on a survey to launch that info. Uh, we do run the blight abatement process, and we are working to get timely reviews and completion on projects that are handed to us. The master plan is, again, the largest focus of our efforts this year. On code enforcement, the issue is how do we handle property maintenance? We've targeted that within 180 days. Our goal on also environmental uh, issues getting resolved in 15 businesses, that's roughly three calendar weeks. Uh, we're a little behind on that. I think our target will be better as we bring more um, contractors on board. We do have some challenges sometimes with contractors. Uh, planning and preservation, the big items. Quick turnaround on Section 106. That's for projects that are funded with city dollars. Um, working with the detailed small area plans and neighborhood plans, that fundamentally is a big chunk of the Richmond 300 plan comes through planning and preservation. Zoning, as you see there, will have uh, three items assigned to it. Uh, permits issued within 10 business days, 90%. Percent of council initiated complaints inspected within two business days, 90%. Uh, we involved, are involved in CAPS, so we will be part of the CAPS review that will go through uh, PMCE. And that does it in general for us. So we've tried to develop a little more than a handful of critical core service benchmarks that we will be tracking over the course of the year so we can report back to you as part of the ongoing budget effort. And at this point, I'll take any questions you might have. Thank you, Mr. Olinker. Uh, Mr. Jones. Thank you, Madam President. I appreciate your uh, presentation, Mr. Olinker. Um, just a quick question. We uh, made an appropriation last year for 500000 That 500000 would be allocated. Mm -hmm. um, how, how have we performed on that? Okay. How is that coming? Sure. So as of today's date of the five positions that were identified, four of the five have been filled. We have people, recent starts, but they are starts nevertheless, 
Um, the one vacancy we have is the CAPS program manager. We're going to repost that. We wanted to add some additional language to their uh, background and experience and qualifications, so we did that. We're getting ready to repost that. Uh, we have spent a significant amount of the dollars on uh, you hire five new inspectors. They need to get out into the field, and today the purchase order was cut to allow us to acquire the five new cars. So out of the 100,965 has been uh, put through. Uh, we had money in there for abatement remediation. The vast majority of that funding has been spent as well. So the only thing that's really out there, and I'm kind of waiting until we get a full complement of staff in, is the additional training that we will need uh, to get them going. But as it sits right now, we are pretty close to expending all of the funding that was associated with uh, last year's budget. Ms. Larson and then Ms. Trammell. Um, I was wondering if you could speak to the, um, during the mayor's speech that he gave on the budget, he talked about the legislation that council approved where for houses that go to auction have to have a plan of development with, with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think several council people have heard that that's created a backlog and um, we're not selling the properties as, as quickly as possible. Um, I mean, I'm, I did not, when I voted for that, I didn't realize that unintended consequence. So... Um, I believe Councilwoman Robertson put that forward. And um, so hopefully we can work on that to to amend it and fix it and get that revenue back in. Um, but I'm wondering if you could speak to that. And is there something in motion right now? Do we need to... Does, sure. does council need to do something? I mean, if there's money out there and we're not accessing it because of this piece of legislation, what can we do to remedy that issue quickly? Um, Good question, Councilwoman. I will give you where I think we are in this right now. Uh, Selena Cuffey, Glenn, CAO for the city, and that's a great question. Uh, Councilwoman Larson, because we have been working with Councilwoman Robertson as it relates to the unintended consequences. And the city attorney has certainly been part of the conversation as it relates to what needs to happen so that we can move forward as it relates to the legislation and the need for the development agreements to be part of the process. And what we've been able to agree to working with the city attorney is that they will still move forward now based upon a meeting we had about a week, week ago, Ms. Robertson, because we all really start to understand the problem associated with the pure legislation itself and that it really sort of put us in a very difficult position as it relates to a city with the timeliness of getting development agreements, getting the auctions done, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the things that's been so important working with uh, Mr. Jackson is his staff really had a lot of good information to share as it relates to some of those unintended consequences. But based upon a solution, he's agreed that we are going to move forward with looking at an auction. I think it's in May, Mr. Jackson. 
And using the verbiage that you currently have in the ordinance itself, it talks about qualified properties. So we're going to try to, uh, that would be exempt, or there will be some issues connected with qualified properties. So we're trying to use the verbiage within the legislation that allows us to have an option, auction so that we can have some movement. Uh, but, of course, the unintended consequences, I think, was about a $3 million deficit that it would have created had we just purely interpreted the document as it is today. The city attorney's office has agreed to do a template that we would use, working in conjunction with uh, Mark Olinger and his staff, that we would use based upon some profile requirements of properties that we could put to auction and have it ready for um, the May timeline. In addition to that, we will find out what's in that queue as it relates to availability of, pro of properties. I think there's a couple of hundreds that we can look at moving. And then, based upon us working through that process, we would come back to City Council if there is a need for some amendments. But Alan and I both, and Ms. Robinson, agree, let's try this method first. Let's see what we can bring online as it relates to potential revenues from those properties. But it did put such an impact on our ability to try to meet some of the projected uh, revenues that we had anticipated that it is going to slow it down with the need to have individual development agreements per each property. So I think we've tried to really scale back and refine the process a bit that's going to at least move us to us having one option uh, for us to go forward to sell some of the properties. Uh, but there are, were complications that were not uh, necessarily uh, we were aware of at the time of the legislation uh, being drafted. So if I'm understanding you correctly, um, in May, you're going to go out to auction with this a new number with, with this new plan. But right now, you're projecting three million dollars less in revenue because of this. Yes. So, if we were to go back to the old way, we'd have an additional projected three million dollars in revenue. I would have to rely on the finance director. He did work with us closely on coming up with a solution. So. John Wack. Again, yes, John Wack, Director of Finance. Uh, just to follow up, um, so in fiscal year tw 2018, the city received probably about $4.2 million in uh, delinquent real estate taxes, penalty, and interest. Uh, when we met with the city attorney's office in developing the 2020 budget, they suggested that we not, budget, not expect more than $1.3 million. So that, that's that variance. So if the city attorney's office is confident in the, the, that we could generate more, more in delinquent real estate tax revenue, that... That could be more potential revenue in 2020. That's not in the proposed budget. So, Ms. Ms. Larson, Ms. Cuffey, Glenn, Mr. Wack, I would like to see if we couldn't have a full-out presentation. This is outside of this budget presentation, but it's not outside of the concern that was raised via that paper. And so if we can okay. get a report back with the specifics you're asking about, either in our inform probably in informal or OD where the whole body can be advised, I'd like to ask you to do that and yeah. to work with Megan to make sure we get that information because that implications of that is pretty significant. Yes, ma'am. And so if you would. Okay. Yeah, that okay. would be good. I do have one other question. Sure, absolutely. Okay, so um, Mark, when we had met, I don't know, a couple months ago, um, we talked about bladed properties that were had code issues and then tax delinquent. And I had asked, where do you... So these properties are on different lists. So when do you get together 
do the departments get together and match those up? Because from my outside perspective, we could get these um, issues dealt with faster if we knew they had multiple um, issues, I guess. So, it, does does that make sense? Yes. I th- if you mean blighted in the sense of the spot blight program or blighted in general as it, in properties gen- that need work. Okay. In, in general, like code enforcement issues like porches falling off. Right. And, and we were talking, at the time, we were talking about a specific property, but I assume that this is not an uncommon occurrence, that right. the property that's on the block that's falling apart, that the porches fall, there's holes in the roof, the whole thing, people are calling about code enforcement, also is likely to be tax delinquent. So is there, if the properties have the two things against them, is there a way to accelerate um, remediating the situation, I guess? Uh, Councilwoman, uh Staff from the city attorney's office, PDR, finance, and others do get together on a regular basis to look at what properties will move into the tax sale process. If a property has uh, outstanding code violations on it and is in tax delinquent status, we will move that onto the tax sale list. So um, the one property, at least the one property I'm aware you're talking of, has been moved to the tax sale list. Given the time it takes to work through that process, it may be spring of late summer this year, spring of next year before we get there. Who the heck knows? But it's not tomorrow. But we are working on that one among others in the city as they come up, as we identify ones. I will find them as I'm driving around saying, what about that property? It looks like not much has happened. And then we will see if it's delinquent and put that on the list as well. And sometimes they... People come and pay their taxes, believe it or not, to keep an empty house empty, uh, and other times it ends up in the process. So I I am going to press us because we do have another presentation. I'm wanting to make sure any budget-specific questions that we get to and then other like this one gets added to that report back, and we'll schedule a time, uh, Ms. Larson, so we can get that information as well. Um, I think Ms. Trammell was next, uh, and then I'll, Ms. Trammell, Ms. Gray, and then we'll wrap up with Ms. Roberts, and I'll ask you if you will, your most pressing question, so that, uh, again, we have another presentation, and we have opportunity to have our staff get information back to us. So, Ms. Trammell. Thank you, Madam President. I just want to say that every year we talk about code enforcement, mm-hmm. every single year, ever since I've been on council, and, I mean, Last year we did give you more money, and it looks like our neighborhoods are just not being taken care of when we give you things. It's just, it's, it's like you go back out there like six months later and it's worse. And I know that I've had a conversation with Selena in reference to um, a couple properties in my neighborhood that are vacant. And, I mean, now we've got people in and out of them at night. And it's like... We don't know what to do. And I, and some people told me that they've called that number for John Mulch, and he's not. John is no longer in PDR. He's in DPW. They should reach out to Ms. Michelle Coward, who's in the acting role. So I want to ask, so the, the properties that Ms. Trammell has called in, can we get an update on their status 
And you said you've called, I'm not, I guess that would be Michelle now. Yes. Okay. If we but can, I don't know if they've called Michelle. Can you give us her, can you give me her phone number then? And so, so I can stop giving them John's number? I will give it to you after okay. the meeting. Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry, what now? I will give it to you after the meeting. I don't have it at the top of my he head. Right, then, and then, okay, all right. And then, but what, I don't want to miss the other part you raised, and I just wanted to make sure I heard correctly. We now have the five staffers who will be trained. Is that correctly? Correct. They're in their process. Of okay. Doing that and right so now. then that will have impact and implications for uh, responding to uh, this matter as well. Okay, and, and one more thing, Madam President, so many business people are still calling me. Some of them called me from downstairs last week, said that they are, you all were remodeling again for the second or third time, and they had to wait like two hours before they couldn't get anybody to say, can I help you? And they were like, what in the world is going on? They're even talking about going to, to the governor, Governor Ralph Northern, to see what he can do about this process over here. Um, um. Mr. Olinger, um, I, I would ask, uh, again, that you get back with us. It seems as if, even though I hear we're doing better, it seems as if we may still have some challenges in terms of response time that Ms. Trammell is sharing. And so if we could get a better sense of what's going on, what people should expect time-wise, and what opportunities based on our new performance budgeting so, Madam President, I will follow up with the council person. I am aware of a couple of addresses. I'm not sure if the ones I'm thinking of are the ones she's thinking of. So if we can get a concurrence on that, I will certainly follow up on those. Thank you. Did you want me to give you the addresses now, or you want to wait? I will wait. If you would, Thank yeah, you. so that we can, Miss um, Gray had a question, and then so we can wrap this one up and go to the next presentation. So this continues to be one of my primary time takers as permits and trying to track down permits. Some of it is not you. Most of it is falls under your control as far as residential, commercial, getting inspectors out. I'm looking at this, um, and I'm glad you're moving to performance base, but I'm just wondering, it says 99% of the inspections in 2017 we're done within two business days? Yes, ma'am. I have, I'm having a hard time actually believing that, just given the number of calls that I've personally made to you about inspections. Um, but with that said, what will the implication of the General Assembly's actions be that um, the money that's paid for by the person requesting a permit can only go to the operation of the permits and inspections because I know it's the belief that a bulk of the funds that are being utilized for other functions are coming out of that permit and inspection fee category? Um, we have requested an opportunity to sit down with the city attorney's office and talk about what the implications are in the budget office, and I can't report on that right now, but we will be meeting to discuss what those implications are. And we would ask that uh similarly the discussion that's coming back now that has a long list of items, that that no, no. Yes. The, yeah, at this point. I meant for, to follow up. Okay. Um, that, that discussion, the outcome and the implications, 
would be shared with us at that time once you've done your, you know, the due diligence there. And when, okay. would, when would we expect to see 2018 numbers? Are they not tracked in your system where you can pull real-time reports? I'm going to have to go back. We've had some. I'm, I'm have to go back and see why we're having a difficult time pulling those out of Intergov, and just let you know. I don't know off the top of my head. Okay. Because I mean, I, my take is I think we've got 19 numbers. We will have 19 numbers. We are using the 20 numbers, and I think those are two very important dates. And 18 is less important, I think, than 19 and 20. Well, we know yeah. where we need to be. It'd be good to have real time if you can swing it, because how do you know how things are going? You know, looking at 2017 and really a good indicator. It shows yeah. growth if you if you have current numbers. Um, my question my question is um, around those positions that you just hired. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're roughly nine months in to the fiscal year, were the delays in getting those people in those seats related to your shop, or would you say some of it you can attribute to the HR function, or why does it take so long to fill a seat? I'm not sure there's a simple answer, but I'll give you one. These are tough positions to fill, and we don't have hundreds of people applying for property maintenance code inspector positions because it's a largely, it's a difficult position. Uh, It's a tough job. You're telling people what to do with their property. It's not, I get 65 applications for the public art administrator. I get a lot fewer than that for property maintenance code enforcement inspectors. And so part of the issue is, A, with the, the, the Gallagher study and the changes in salaries, they got a small bump. So I'm hoping we get more people. But it's not like we get buried with applications for these positions. And we have a lot of people who apply who may think they're getting something else rather than what they're getting. And so it, even, if, even in the ones we get, there's still a fair number of those who are – what they're applying for is not the position we have available and so it's a difficult position to fill. It's a relatively thankless task, and um, we're not buried in applications for people who want to be property maintenance code enforcement inspector ones. So is retention, is retention one of your performance goals? Retention is an issue as well. We do not have it as a performance goal. We do have people. Uh, I do not have it as a performance goal now. I am hoping with the increases in salaries and the potential in the mayor's budget for additional income, we'll get people to stay longer than they have. Um, you know, we've had this issue in room 110 as well. The, the growth and the demands for and the salaries for people in the private sector versus the public sector, uh, we lose every time. And as a result, we often have a hard time maintaining some of these people because they could walk out the door into a private sector job and make more money with perhaps less what they would perceive stress than where they are now. Thank you. I'm going to press us because we do have um, another presentation. Ms. Robertson, if you will uh, wrap this up. And what I don't want to do is lose questions. So there may be additional questions coming to you uh, via our staff. 
uh, so that um, all of the questions that council members have can get addressed. So, Ms. Robertson. Thank you, Madam Chair. And thank you, Mark, uh, for the presentation. And thank you for being the first to present to us uh, the new format of performance-based budgeting. Um, I would like to ask, um, because this is the first, um, I would like to ask um, that our staff uh, and I and maybe Mark get an opportunity to really look at this and see if this performance-based budget team fits the categories of the expectation of the uh, legislation to go to this form of budgeting. Um, one of the things that I want to make sure is that we are not only looking at the performance measures as it relates to the percentage of what we would measure as success, um, but that we are being as definitive as we can as it relates to the overall goal and objective that we are trying to achieve uh, overall. Um, for example, um, I, it, I can see very clearly that when we look at the expenditures that a significant uh, amount of monies are being appropriated for boards and commissions and for the work that is required as it relates to the master plan. And I think that it's important that we really appreciate what is the total budget cost for us doing the master plan. Um, as it's broken down in different areas across <clears throat> for the master plan, but I think it's important that we uh, have a better perspective that one of the major goals of the department is the master plan to be completed by whatever percentage in this year's and what this budget really expects to accomplish as a result. That is a clear statement that at the end of the year I can say that was accomplished rather than <clears throat> just um, performances as it relates to days of activities and, and those kind of things would give us, I think, more clarity that to the average citizen I can easily say this is what this department is going to accomplish this week. And so I would ask that we go back and visit that resolution and look at this and see how effective it is accomplishing that goal. Thank you. Madam Thank Chair. you. Um, the last question, Ms. Madam Trammell. President, I don't have a question. Just may I please make a statement because I just got something. and I want to. Can I actually, is it pertaining to this particular budget? I just want, I just want Mark to know that um, it is not so much as the people that are living in the homes that people are so upset about because we know that seniors are struggling right now to keep up their properties and try to maintain their property. What I was trying to get at is the people that have vacant properties that you can't, you know that these banks own these properties. That's what I was preferring to, the properties like that, not our poor seniors or people that, that were furloughed from the government, don't have their trying to catch up and things like that, um, to fix their porch or to fix their window or something like that. It's these vacant properties that they, it's, it's bringing in all the crime in those neighborhoods because people know nobody's living in it and nobody's paying attention to it, and they come in there and they just take up residence in, in that property. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Olinger. Thank you. And look forward to report back, and our staff will follow up with you as well. The next presentation, uh, the Department of Parks 
recreation and community facilities. Welcome. Welcome. Uh, good afternoon. Good afternoon, President Newbill and Council. I have some documents for each of you guys, the questions that were asked, and also our most recent Parks and Recreation Digest. Thank you. Ms. Paul already sort of explained um, how we were doing the performance base. We are also the second department today to present on doing performance-based budgets. As you can see in front of you, our mission and um, objectives, so I will not read those out to you individually. But I do have some talking points that I'd like to go over with all of you all today. I'll wait to get all the handouts. Thank you. Chris, I already have a copy of your digest that I picked up. We can take those back and reuse them if you if, yeah. if you like. I'll get them. Or please feel free to give it to one of your neighbors. Um, yeah. Thank you. I think we are. We all have copies now. Awesome. Well, first of all, I am proud and privileged to be in front of you all today to talk about my role as director of Parks and Recreation and Community Facilities and to share the mayor's budget that we have moving forward. We are extremely excited about this. As you all are very well aware of in the recent audit study, we are at per capita $108. This budget moves us to a $120 uh, per capita, which we are extremely excited about all that this does. I've also heard a lot about today about wanting to see performance and what we are actually accomplishing with those dollars. This is what I'd like to share with you. It is not the full amount of what we do, but I just want to give you an amount of time that I have today to go over that. First of all is we have roughly about $3.3 million that we associated for our administration. We have some of the best individuals in this community that work in Parks and Recreation. I am very proud, as I started this conversation, to say that I lead this organization and the amount of work that my team does on a regular basis. I'm in awe and impressed with the different things that we are able to accomplish with the team of people that I have. Even with the per capita funding that we had with 108, I want to show you all that we were able to do. Not focus on the fact that we only got 108, but all that we were able to do with the team of people that come in every day for the city that really believe in our field of parks and recreation and how proud I am. Our administration this year did do some reorganization, and as part of that, what we did was we created staff training and development. We've started having regular monthly trainings for our frontline staff to train them on different safety issues. We're also working with our managers. We did our first pilot crucial conversations training to sort of help educate our staff on how better to navigate and how better to work with each other as team building. Also extremely important that happened during this year is our capital projects. We roughly got $4 million um, in this area, and these are the things that we've been able to perform, perform for just in this year alone. And Hardy, we finally were able to resurface the basketball courts and the tennis courts there. Westwood, we were able to redo the basketball courts there. Bill Robinson Playground, two basketball courts were completed there. And Randolph Community Center got two basketball courts and our first pickleball courts in the city. We also were able to redo one of the tennis courts at that site. We've been able to resurface and re-upgrade four of our playgrounds. Again, this is just in this physical year or this calendar year alone. Physical year, sorry. Also... Part of our projects that we've been able to complete is the shelter at Oak Grove, Pine Camp roof and HVAC replacement, athletic field at Hickory Hill we are working on, and that pole is down finally. Um, 
bird park maintenance shop improvement, and also we have upgraded all the chemical feeders at our pools. In addition, we have done a lot of community engagement with our administration division. Many of you all have been very much part of that process from our uh, starting to build our master plan for Broad Rock Sports Complex. We've worked with VCU um, and their School of Urban Design to start getting conversations in Forest Hills and also at Bryan Park. But we see the need to get more out there, and our administration has been working very hard on our team. Also, James River Master Plan, we've had uh, meetings in every single council district to make sure people are aware of all the things that we do and hearing the citizens on what they like to see moving forward. Our marketing division has been able to do a tremendous amount of events either. In front of you, you see we roughly have 5,000 program guys that we do twice a year. We've also had our third annual doggy dive event. We were able to raise just under $40,000 to send 80 kids to our camp programs. Our Twitter numbers, Facebook numbers, and Instagram numbers have been extremely impressive of what their growth have been. Twitter started out in FY17 at 1,262. We're now over 1,700 followers. Facebook was at 2,600. We're now close to 3,500 likes. And our Instagram has almost doubled from 662 to 1,288. This is how we're reaching out and trying to make sure people are aware of all the great things that we are doing. We also, as most of you are, all of you are well aware, is that we do the Movies in the Park series. We range from anywhere from 300 to 1,000 people that will come to each one of those different things. But this is really how our community does the One Richmond. Everybody comes out there. We partner with our other departments like Fire and some other businesses to be out there and promote that event. It is truly a community uh, uh, piece. Also, that what has, we have done this year is that under our permits and scheduling, in addition to renting our facilities out, we merged with uh, the Special Events Office. They have been piloting under our office. We have so far had 68 citywide special events that were done on the city level. However, our department was doing 26, totaling 98 different events. Again, these are things that bring our whole community together. This is the one Richmond that everyone can benefit and enjoy these different events that are happening. Our citywide uh, maintenance and infrastructure gets just uh, over $1.5 million. And what you have been able to see is they are the ones that are doing the daily maintenance in our building and how responsive they have been to making sure our air conditioning, our windows, all those different things are getting replaced and fixed. The thing that's also been really impressive is this is where we formed our workforce development crew out of. We had 15 individuals that started that program. Ten of them graduated last uh, September. I am proud to say that all 10 of those now, as of two weeks ago, are fully employed with full-time employment from this workforce development program. We look to be starting that back again now so that we can get a new recruit of people and continue that program. It has been extremely successful, and many of you all saw how it was successful in your different districts through the grass cutting that we did on our ball fields and some other things that they've helped out in the cemeteries and different areas throughout the city. One other program that I want to highlight because we often forget about that is our federal food programs. We provided over 200,000 meals last summer at 80 different locations. 128,000 of those meals were provided at our sites alone. We are really trying to make sure that we take care of, and we have that equity lens that has been talked about, of making sure we take care of everyone in our community and look towards those things. Cultural arts is another integral aspect that makes our community strong, and that is one that we fund at just under $800,000. With that, you will see that we had Dogwood Dale performances, 
30 different performances averaging over 2,000. We also spread that out to make sure we were including other areas of the city, not just at the Dell, because we knew this was a popular event, and so we've tried it at Battery Park and other areas. We also did Jazz in the Park this year as our first sort of inaugural-type program at Libby Hill and Jefferson Park. We look to continue to expand these type of opportunities because we realize this cultural richness of our community is essential. And again, as I've said several times, it brings us one Richmond together. Out of school time, even though it is a major initiative of the mayor's um, in our, our office, we have made a lot of great trends in that. We get just under $1 million to fund this program. This year, as you all are well aware, as we started the YPQI process, which is really looking at how do we get those positive outcomes at each of our sites and how are we measuring that different thing. We've done it at Blackwell, Bellevue, Carver, Obama, and Swansboro. These areas we have seen where we can improve, but our staff has also been very excited about the new training and opportunities. We plan on rolling this out at all of our different sites. However, just this year alone, our out-of-school time numbers, when you look at out-of-school programs and our fun clubs that we have, we've grown from 1,302 to 1,389 people that are participating in our out-of-school time. Specialized recreation services. We get just under $2 million, and that area is what we look at from our aquatics program, where we had an FY17, just under 90,000 people participate, to 101,000 people participate in FY18. We have nine pools. Seven of them are outdoor, two are indoor. One of the largest programs that we have and that I'd like to highlight for you is our water aerobics exercise class. We have just under 57,000 people annually that participate in this program, getting physically active, improving people's health. These are the different things that we're able to do in these different programs. Also, our senior population is a definitely one that we see is going to continue to grow. By 2030, the number of seniors that are living in the city of Richmond will actually outnumber those living under the age of 18. So this is a population that we know we need to continue to grow services with. We serve just under 10,000 of those uh, participants in some of our programs that vary from senior trips to our volleyball, our spring prom, our Black History Month. I know a lot of you all have been able to enjoy those. One of the ones I like to highlight the most, though, is, again, we just started pickleball, and we have just under 1,300 people that have participated in that year to date. And when I say we just started that, it was probably about October or November we started doing indoor, and those indoor sites were Southside, Powhatan, Hotchkiss, and Humphrey Calder. You can go out there any day of the week and you'll see 20 to 30 participants, uh, active seniors participating in that sport. Our recreation and community centers get the bulk of our funding, which is about $4.5 million, just under. And what you will see is a lot of our athletics. We have been in front of you with our EDE sports, which we are extremely proud of that our team has done so well in that level and all the things that that stands for on that level of um, participation. But not to forget that we have roughly 4,000 individuals that we register in those athletic programs. We also have the summer league that we partner with CarMax, which we have about 500 kids that participate in 38 teams throughout the area. One other thing that I think that we want to be very thankful for is that we got $650,000 roughly last year to fund our weekend operations. We have seen great results with that with 15,000 participants and 10,000, uh, roughly over 10,000 spectators with just under 26,000 people just on the weekends alone since we started tracking that back in October. We did start those hours, so just to be very clear with everyone, in July. When we got the funding, we were able to open up all of our sites on the weekends so that we could have that because we realized summer was a critical time for people to be able to have opportunities to get into our facilities on the weekends. Roughly, we, will, we have seen so far, since we've again started tracking those numbers at our facilities, we've had about 110 people participate in our different programs with 25,000 spectators. That's a little bit more than half of the city that are just participating alone in our recreation programs. 
Our James River operation gets just under $800,000, but how we are able to compensate that additional funds is that we had almost 2,700 people volunteering at this park alone, averaging close to 8,000 hours of volunteer service. This is truly amazing. This is how we are able to do so much at that park with the budget that we have and all the wonderful outcomes. Just think that T. Potterfield Bridge has 330,000 people visit that annually. That's more than everybody in the, Richmond going, in the city of Richmond going there once. Our other parks have very high numbers, too, that we have started tracking this year with the counter system. Bird Park is just under 750,000. Forest Hill has 168, roughly. Bryan Park is just under 400,000. We have truly amazing amenities. The thing that I read in an article the other day, and this is something I hope every day you all try to take the opportunity to do. If you spend 20 minutes just out in a green space, their studies have shown that 60% of people that just spend that 20 minutes sees their happiness scale improve. Think about it. We'd all like to be out in that sun right now, and how much better would that make us happen? Our parks and our recreation and these different things that we have is what creates the city and creates great spaces. I, that's how I can start my speech, was that I love that I am the director of this Parks and Recreation. I have a tremendous amount of team that works for me. 230-some staff that come in every day and accomplish all these wonderful things. And I know I've left out a lot, but I'm trying to be good on time. And, but it's just truly amazing, the team that I lead. I will compare our department to any department in the United States. We might have gotten a little bit of money, but we have shown what we do with everything that you invest in us. We will get great results for you all. Thank you for your time. Uh, thank you. Now questions. Yes. Okay. Um, I I'll go that. this route. Uh, Ms. Gray, Ms. Trammell, Ms. Larson. Okay. Um, first, I just love your energy, and I think maybe we should have these budget sessions in a park if we can be. Maybe it would make we'll us happier. We'll see what we happier. can do, Ms. Gray. A um, couple of points. I just, um, I know we spoke about this, but the second district doesn't have a manned, um, organized parks and rec location representation. And, I'd love to see that happen. Um, and I know you're working on that, yes. so thank you. Uh, I am really thrilled as a resident, as a parent, with what happens every day in Parks and Rec. I've utilized your services, obviously have to drive to another district to do so. But um, Pine Camp is an amazing, amazing facility with great people who put in a thousand percent every day and I just the spirit of what happens on the soccer fields basketball courts and in general throughout the department is really infectious um, I am concerned about the the walking track the Vita course and I'd like to know when that will get repaired I know utilities I was told sprung a leak um, somehow related to the reservoir and I'm out there pretty regularly, and it's still in very bad shape. I'm also concerned about some of the larger dead trees and their proximity to the track and what we're doing to address those. And in your overall mission and vision, I know I'm talking a whole lot too, um, where, did it, where did you end up? having to cut grass at graveyards because that doesn't seem to really be connected to the function of parks and rec. So we actually are, we actually manage cemeteries too. 
So that is part of Parks and Recreation and Community Facilities, is that the cemeteries is an enterprise fund under our group. And so we were, we were helping out some of our team because they were short staff and weren't able to get some of their positions filled that they had contracted. So we sent some of our teams as we were in that process uh, last year to help for that one. As for the Vita course and the trees, um, the, the, we will continue to work with DPW on that. That's a partnership that we have with them. And DPU was out there really initially when that first water main uh, break happened and have been working with us since to try to work with a contractor to address those concerns. So we are working with them on both of those. And lastly, just to address, we, are, uh, we do have some funding to do a central recreation district um, to get some staffing in that area because we do see um, one of the things that I did when I first came on board, and it was from the education um, committee, was to sort of do an asset and look at all the different things that we have in the city, and it was very glaring that there, as as you have highlighted, a need for your your community. So we are working on doing that piece too. So are you going to continue to cut grass at the cemeteries, or is that something, I mean, function-wise, if you're, We've always cut grass at the cemeteries. That has always been a responsibility of our department. Uh, that's the one thing that's always been separate out of that is that we've had the cemeteries crew has those different aspects and they maintain that because there's a specialty level that needs to do it. Luckily, this workforce development, and I know that you're like, well, they've only just started. They brought in a skill set because they really took to the training that they were able to be at that same level and provide that specialty of care. That's great. So that's part of your community training it in is. this jobs program. So Correct. since you've gotten here, I know you've started working with community wealth building and yes. employing individuals who were lacking in some of the skills. So you're utilizing that program to make that operation more efficient. Yeah. It, well, and part of what this is is so um, is that the cemeteries is an enterprise budget that Parks and Recreation and Community Facilities manages. However, we also have the Workforce Development Group that is part of the Parks and Recreation larger portfolio. Sounds good. So they're working with the we're trying to teach them on several. Function. We're trying to teach them several uh, skill sets during that process. That's good. Okay. Um, I'm fine. Go ahead. Okay. Mr. Amel. Thank you, Madam President. Chris, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for all that you do. And this right here, this is worth a million words. I tell you, these photos in here and all that. I mean, this this is really, I mean, this touches my heart because I know that, you know, these community centers and, and all of that, we need, you know, what you do for the children and for the seniors and for everyone to come in there to get computer classes and all that, especially people that can't afford afford to have one in their homes. I mean, this, and I'm just speechless. But anyway, thank you. I love this. And also, maybe we could um, one day look at, like, um, how to have some cooking classes, because I can't cook. Neither so can I, but I'll be glad. Maybe we both can take that maybe class. Maybe some cooking <laughs> classes and things like that. And also, there was one thing I wanted to ask. There was one um, of the children, if there's some things in here the children cannot afford, their parents can't, is there monies or funds out there that they can? What we are working to do when we do the, uh, we're changing the send a kid to camp to out of school time so that we can do exactly what you're talking about. Um, and so when we start raising our, fun, our funds next in this May, those funds will be so that we can send kids to all of our programs. Okay. And then there was one thing I never heard of, pause uh, to read. I just, that card, it was like, um, I think it was at Westover Hills. Um, 
pause to read? I might have to. We might have to have a sidebar on that one, Councillor Trammell. Hmm? Thank you. You'll talk to me about that one? Yes. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Let me go to Ms. Larson. I did have one thing that... One last one, Ms. Gray. Just Thank quickly. You. When you weren't open on the weekends, even the brand new facility at Blackwell was being vandalized quite extensively, thousands of dollars in broken windows. Have you seen a reduction in the amount of vandalism at the parks facilities since you've been opening on Saturdays, or is that something? So we didn't really probably track that as well, but I can say, you know, we've seen a lot of just activation and vibrancy in those communities because of the opening. So I think a lot of that sort of helps. Thank you. Thank you. Ms. Larson. Um, I wanted to thank you for your enthusiastic presentation, and uh, I also appreciate the work that you've done in the year and a half you've been here. Um, it's I've seen a lot of changes in Parks and Rec, and um, the team you have for Southside has been very impressive. And, um, you know, we've had a, a lot of meetings, and folks are always there to show up, and they really care about the parks or, you know, the facility they're managing, and I'm really um, I'm inspired by, by their enthusiasm. So I'm glad that the mayor put um, an increase in your all's operating budget. Um, and it looks like some FTEs are being added to the James River Park System staff. Is that correct? I, it's a little weird to look at this performance-based budget. It's taken me a minute to... And I know it's a lot to absorb. I think the, 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 how we take all this, that we do, we're moving forward in a lot of the different aspects of it. And so if the mayor's budget is adopted, then there probably will be some additional FTEs that we see throughout the whole system. Okay. Um, and as part of how our reorganization has gone into effect, we really, we're going to try to move this in the positions that we think we can best utilize. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So. Um, and I just wanted to also bring up that we did get that analysis from our auditor um, after the budget cycle last year that showed, compared to other localities, that our Parks and Rec Department was one of, was underfunded by, I can't even remember, 20% or 15% or something crazy. So... Um, I wanted to ask about the item we talked about during the last budget cycle, and you and I have talked offline about it, um, about security in our parks. I still have a lot of concerns about um, overall security as well as if there's some sort of medical emergency. I never got numbers from RPD, but I did get some numbers from the Ambulance Authority that showed... um, Compared to 2018 to 20, no, I'm sorry, 2017 to 2018 summers compared, it it went up. Um, And I mean, it makes sense because we know the number of visitors in the parks is going up. And um, I just want to see or hear from you what you think we could do to address those concerns. And then Ms. Gray had the issue in her, in Abner Clay with the dog, you know, it's different issues in different areas of the city, but 
what are we doing to get in front of it? You know, the trash cans are being lit on fire. Um, I mean, that's happened, what, four different times in the last month or something? I think it's a very good question. I think part of what we've realized in our department is um, do we sort of look at creating more of a liaison? Our police department is working really hard and doing great stuff, and I think sometimes our department could figure out how we can engage them a little bit more and being sort of helpful because a lot of these are police matters um, that need to be addressed. And so how do we sort of talk with that? And then potentially down the road do we bring some volunteers in? Um, it goes back to Councillor Gray's point about having more of activated spaces. Does that also sort of help reduce crime reduction. And so if we can get people out there and doing things and activate our spaces, I think things can change. So uh, just as a follow-up, um, as you take a look at that, if that can be something that you bring back, whether it's collaboration with RPD or volunteers, um, but that has been a concern that was raised before and with the incidents without being redundant, uh, I think still uh, somewhat of a concern. So as you look at that, if that can come back. We'll do. Okay. Mr. Jones. Uh, thank you, Madam President. <clears throat> um, appreciate your energy. Still feel it. Still feel it. You must just be happy because the Tar Heels uh, did pretty well this weekend. <laughs> so, but they, they still have to face the Cavaliers uh, coming up. And so uh, we'll be torn when they get into the ACC tourney. Um, I just want to speak direction-wise, especially as uh, Councilwoman Gray brings up uh, uh, questions about uh, a site in her in her district um, and just best practices from uh, the ninth that when we begin projects um, to make sure that we have the funding to finish the project. Uh, I think uh, the ninth district has been done a disservice uh, to start a project uh, and even when I came on council um, everyone was very amenable to the fact that there were no CIP dollars allocated uh, to finish that project. Um, sometimes you're better off not starting something uh, versus starting it and not having near enough money uh, to uh, complete a project, um, as well as looking at what needs to be done uh, in the demolition of the site and whether buildings were uh, usable because again we're talking about basic feasibility before um, that 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 site was purchased we should have known all of this up front and again that, that we're, we, we get to use best practices understanding that uh, no one in this room per se was a part of that process it was a former council former administration even the director uh, uh, has long uh, uh, since left but just speaking as it relates to, to processes, to ensure that we understand what we're going to purchase. Um, and, and again, that, that's even to caution counsel that when we're involved in uh, a particular type of deal, uh, that we need to make sure that the administration does their due diligence. Um, but again, as, as we move forward, uh, that is something I would caution on. Make sure that you have all of the funding um, to get it done from start to finish because the citizens, they don't deserve, the ninth District doesn't deserve um, a project that's only a third of the way done. And arguably, the outside of that building is w still woefully in disrepair. It, it is not, it is not what the citizens of the ninth District deserve. It just, it just doesn't. 
We, so, we deserve, I'm going somewhere, I'm going somewhere okay. on this, as far as, as it relates to, uh, you know, current funding and, and, and moving forward, and really just talking about a praxis. Um, so, so, you know, I, I hope that we do that. Secondly, secondly, uh, as, as I'm looking at different things, and, and I, I love the, the information that, that's in this book and things of that nature, I want to challenge us to make sure that our offerings are diverse. Uh, from uh, sports and recreation. I'm a football guy. I love football, love basketball. Kids play it. Wonderful thing. Uh, number one sport in the world is what? Soccer. And that is the one thing that I do not find uh, in full force in the ninth district. Um, and not, not a Southside Community Center. Trust me, they have spring football. I know my district. That's spring football. It's done elsewhere, but as far as engaging young folk at Southside Community Center, we don't have teams there. Uh, and so, again, how do we engage the residents around uh, with all of the offerings that, that, are, that are going on there? Um, so I, I just want to make sure that, that we're doing that, that we're doing those things. And then lastly, as we talk about securing our parks, we've made a step in that direction at uh, the Broad Rock Sports Complex uh, but can there be a level of proactivity that when we see a building that is in disrepair, um, when we see a building uh, that needs painting, that it, it and this is my opinion, it shouldn't take an act of council to come and say, can we paint this building? Uh, can we make sure the bathrooms are functional? Um, can we make, and, and again, I just, I just, that, that's, we talk about being too much in the weeds. That's too much in the weeds. Uh, for for it to be a call from my office to say, hey, can we do X, Y, Z? Um, and again, we need to partner with uh, Richmond Police. Um, car clubs in the park, hey, I'm all for it, but if it interrupts what other visitors are trying to do in the park, where you have cars parked up on the grass and all throughout the park, um, you know, that that's... That's not allowing everyone there. And so I'll get with the chief and uh, can kind of brief you on, on what's taking place. So, uh, but again, you know, you got a lot of work to do. Uh, and um, to Councilwoman Gray or, or Larson's point, we, we need to make sure you have the funding uh, to do that. Uh, uh, so thank you. Thank you, Mr. Jones. Um, one second. Uh, Ms. Robertson, did you have any comment? I want, this is how we're doing our last round, making sure everyone has had an opportunity. And then we're going to close out. Okay, thank you. I uh, appreciate the uh, work that you're doing and the follow-up uh, reporting that you've been most effective in keeping us aware and abreast of what's going on. Um, I don't have any particular questions as it relates to the budget itself. I do know that there's... Um, Remain some need to coordinate uh, maybe some of the service providers, some of them may be in our um, non-departmental budget that provides recreational-related, sports-related kind of activities uh, that frequently are not adequately funded to be able to carry out the program objectives. And I would like to see a stronger partnership that would provide opportunities for greater use for maybe some of those agencies that may have the capacity to be able to provide those services out of our facilities that could help augment some of the programming that you're providing. 
And the other um, uh, challenge that we have as it relates to availability of gyms that could be used to enhance a lot more of the kinds of uh, activities that we would need and looking at ways that we can make a determination on what is the ideal opportunity for gym space in the city of Richmond that would be meaningful and helpful to us as we look at the different kinds of sports and other activities that are going on. But thank you for your services and look forward to continue to work with you. Thank you. Um, question, Ms. Trammell? Statement. Okay, but, but Chris, I don't see your name in here. I don't see your name in the book. I was trying to put something on Facebook. Okay, but I just, but, but I just want to say that um, look how long that I have to, I've waited with Hickory Hill. I mean, just to move a pole. It's been over a year, and I know probably almost a year and a half, whatever. But anyway, we have to, all of us on council have to realize that we have to share the whole pie, and sometimes you only get a little piece like that. But um, and then we have to realize what we get in that one budget year for that, like, per se, for that community center or for that um, swimming pool or whatever. So I just want to thank you again for a great job that you're doing, you and all of your staff. Thank you. Uh, last question, Ms. Gray? Not a question, another um, comment. And it's just um, to clarify when I say the second district, the central area of the city is lacking in um, organized parks and rec activities. Um, a lot of activities go on, primarily at Abner Clay Park. What I witness, and it's not only second district, it's people from all over the city, and I would say most of the children who utilize the park are from Gilpin Court, which is no longer second district. So our... Um, Parks are not, people don't go by district when they utilize our parks. And obviously, my point to that is I, I am privileged enough to be able to drive to other locations and utilize your, your amazing programming. But many people who live in the central downtown area are not able to do that. And I would like to see some opportunities, not a building built, but perhaps a partnership, an innovative way that we can provide more services. Because we do have a lot of young people who are finding other things to do that are not always positive. So that was my whole point. It's not to keep it all in the... No, and I think this budget will really help us do that. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I want to say thank you again. And just one thing is that we are, uh, um, we have been working with Maggie Walker um, to have that there. So that's where we plan on working on some nights and weekends. I wasn't sure if I could yeah. say. Yeah. So. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. So I want to say thank you again, Mr. Frakey. But not done yet. Um, while I don't have a question, I really do want to recognize and appreciate the fact that you squarely sit parks, recreation, and community facilities in the realm of health and wellness of our city and our constituents. And you're very strategic and intentional in terms of making sure that that is an asset that improves health and well-being. Uh, thank you. Look forward to our continued work together. And with that, uh, counselors, 
We will now adjourn the budget work session. Thank you.